Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Hopefully everybody is doing awesome. As always, Fredo, Dave, and I are broadcasting from all points around the New Orleans metro area. Um, say hi, Dave and Fredo. Hi, hi. Dave and Fredo. Yeah, thank you. There you go. And uh, so uh, tonight is going to be a, a, a little bit different episode. You know, we did a, the Empire Strikes Back little watch party where we just watched Empire Strikes Back and talk about it. Um, so we're, we decided we're going to do the same thing with The Last Jedi tonight. Um, you know, dun, we've, dun, been, dun. we've been talking about The Last Jedi in many episodes. And, you know, I don't think I've watched Last Jedi since The Rise of Skywalker interestingly enough so i wonder how that will influence things but uh, um i have watched yep. knives out a couple times so you know that same be, be interesting to see if we notice anything um but otherwise we're gonna i mean there's tons of news that happened this week we're gonna skip it we're gonna talk about it next week um so if you want to watch along um you know we're all queued up uh to a long time ago in a galaxy far far away and then you can join us we're just going to be talking about what we see or um, letting our thoughts kind of wander but it'll all be about the last jedi so in three two one play and we'll see if i can break my internet all right so interesting factoid about the main theme. I think I saw, I can't remember which documentary I saw this on, but every director gets to decide or has influence on the mixing of the main theme. I think it was Ryan Johnson who said it hmm. that like Empire is a little darker. So they just, they mixed it a little bit different so that it's matches the tone of the film. But anyway, I think it was, I think it was really noticeable with, the Force Awakens, for some reason, it was very like, bright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very bright and clear, and yeah. So I noticed that it, that for the first time with that movie that they were a little different. So, so does that mean like they highlight which instruments they want to bring up to the foreground? You know, which way it wants to be played? That yeah, I mean, you know, they they well they record. I mean, they record the main theme. It's written, you know, and then it's just you go in on the mixing board, and it's just. Trouble faces and mids, and you know, just just adjust it that way. So, um, so if you want to drop like a fat beat, you know, you know, if you want to call in the Neptunes or Timbaland or some other super producer and do a remix, that's when you can do it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think this crawl was maybe the most on the nose crawl that mm -hmm. I'd seen in a Star Wars movie in terms of what I expected, where I thought we were going to be, and what they were going to do with it. Interesting though, because this movie starts. I mean, it's hours or at most a couple of days, right? Since the Battle of Starkiller Base. So it's almost like they're going, like, okay, we're going to catch you up with everything that happened. But you could, you know, splice the end of uh, Force Awakens and the start of Last Jedi, and it flows right on through. Yeah, but pretty much like Rogue One into uh, A New Hope, a New right? Hope, right. And I do like how this movie just, it got to the point. There's no, it's not like Empire where it's like we see, you know, Luke just riding on a Tauntaun, you know, and that mm -hmm. kind of the probe droid just kind of meanders down to Hoth. This, I mean, this, they get right into it. And, uh, and of course, that's the way it had to be, you know, because mm -hmm. 
wasn't like yeah i mean they they came after the resistance right after star killer so um because yeah because a lot of a lot of these uh first order officers like huts that we've seen uh we saw last running away from the destruction of star killer base you know they are clearly coming in you know with a mood with an attitude about what the resistance did to their base so it's the kind of thing where you go like okay they They've had some time to cool, you know, to uh, kind of recompose themselves, but they're still very much uh, hot under the color. All right. So question, uh, not, I'm not saying, do we have any problem with the humor? Because again, if we think about empire, you know, it's gotta be, there's gotta be humor without gags and stuff like that. Um, what do we think specifically about the general hugs? Oh, hammer and thing. Yeah, it didn't bother, didn't bother me either. Um, and I know some people, it really rubbed them the wrong way, but it it worked just fine for me because it felt like it was in character for Poe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the way we've seen Poe uh, kind of presented is that he's, a, he's not stoic. You know, the very first time he comes face-to-face with Kylo Ren, his words are, who talks first? You talk first, I talk first. It's, it's very snappy. <laughs> quippy you know kind of dialogue so this makes you know what just what just came to me after i've done my avengers homework and actually i'm re-watching some of them again um this this smacks of tony stark in a way i mean it's it's the kind of jokes that tony stark would make you know in um in a very serious situation and so and that's that's what it, it it feels out of place in a star wars movie that kind of just flat out gag you know it's talk about his mother, you know, um, type of thing. You, so, You know what it is? It feels very much like something Leia would say. It feels, because Leia, you know, when she first presenter is regal, but there's that New York attitude underneath. You know, the, I'll confront you that, uh, but, you know, so in some ways, Poe has that same vibe as, as Leia. I think that it's just going to be one of those things that a lot of people are going to, like and a lot of people are just gonna not like ultimately um but i love uh, this new character of kennedy yes and they and they and they kill him off in like five <laughs> minutes from now i mean he is actually uh, the star wars the sequel trilogy has this thing about here's a great baddie and then we're gonna kill him off you know um well they do a good job I mean, they're lighting him in deep red and uh, you know as opposed to the bridge on the on the on the star destroyer that Hux is on, you know, Kennedy is very much in red and shadow. You're like, okay, what the heck? You know, they, they didn't, I guess they they chose a different set of lights for that ship for the dreadnought. But, but right. I also do. Huh? Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say I do like that they put in us right in the middle of an action moment. You know, I always prefer Star Wars when it starts off right with action. I, I agree with that, and I think it was the right call because of where they left the previous movie. Like everybody's like, "Whoa, what's going to happen with Ray and Luke?" Mm-hmm. And like, "Well, we're not going to give you that right away. We're just not. We're gonna we're gonna show you something else." And really, this is about the only other thing they could show us. Um, but I like that. I agree with you that I like the tone. I like that it's actiony. Um, the stakes are high. It's it's, it's good. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, besides A New Hope and Revenge of the Sith, this is the only Star Wars movie that starts right away in an action beat. You know, most of them take their time. They're slowly beginning, you know, to lay out the situation. Uh, and here we get the, uh, we're starting to get the fighting between him and Leia. By the way, it's uh, interesting. So on a, on a very uh, superficial note here, but I was reading some, some things about the, the Last Jedi, and I hadn't thought about this. Space jewelry. Mm-hmm. We've never, if you think about it, try to try to go through all the other Star Wars movies. Have you ever seen a ring or a necklace or stuff like that? And I mean, but it was Carrie Fisher who went to Ryan Johnson and said, we need space jewelry. <laughs> well, they, they, they incorporated it as a plot element. Yeah. Kind of fun. But the, this... uh, it wasn't a throwaway. By the way, I like these bombers. I, I just like the makeup of them. I like the whole idea of it. And I don't care that it's breaking laws of physics, you know, but, you know, it's... Okay. Uh, Again, we're talking about a Star Wars movie and people want to bring, you know, we want to bring recent logic and our understanding of the physical universe to it. You know, they're going in, they're going in faster than light speed ships, you know, across the galaxy. That breaks everything we know about modern physics. Yeah, well, I don't understand why they move so dang slow. <laughs> <laughs> because the plot needs them to, that's why. Yep. Build but, the tension. Now, what was interesting is, whatever happened to the Y-Wings? Because clearly, I mean, that, that was the bomber of choice for the Rebellion. What right. happened to the Y-Wings that they have been... Well, those were... By- those were way old models in, you know, from the Clone Wars. Uh, so it was, I mean certainly outdated they weren't they didn't show up in empire jedi they seemed more effective than these slow moving bombers though. right well this, <laughs> sorry but ships that move slow in space is kind of a theme in this movie um, yeah, that <laughs> won't be the won't be the first or last time that it won't be the last time that i mentioned that in this movie it's one of my big criticisms it starts off so quick like this and then it just just kind of lumber. You know what's funny is like this sequence with the bombers is kind of of what you're going to get later on in the movie. It's going to slow down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I mean, it's a good way of uh, putting, like we're saying, putting action at the beginning because things are going to slow down later on. So we're going to hit you with the uh, dessert first and then we're going to give you the meat and potatoes. Hey, now the sequence with um, Paige, mm-hmm. I, I think it's really well done. Yeah, it creates a tension. I, I could not, like, watching it unfold in the theater, you think, and there's just no way she's going to catch that thing, the way that it's shot. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the other thing that's kind of cool about it is that here's here's a person that we, we have no idea who she is. It's for all intents and purposes a nobody making you know making a significant contribution to you know to the battle. Um, and I and I, I I like that. Mm-hmm. Well and it's I mean her importance in and of itself 
it's to the sequence, but it also character-wise, it's key for Rose later on because we who we come to find out who she was and the idea of what uh, what this means to her later on down the road when she goes on her own mission. Right. It it, it works on its own merits, but it's also such an important scene for Rose's character later on. I, I really like uh, Ryan Johnson's cinematography. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a well-made movie, and it's different from any Star Wars movie. Um, just the framing of things, the you know the way the camera moves, um, the angles of stuff like the you know the way that uh, Paige's final shot you know juxtaposed with the explosion behind her, that kind of thing. It's just a pretty. It's just a pretty movie. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you'd mentioned earlier um, having re- rewatched uh, *Knives Out*, um, and I recently rewatched it as well. Um, and that's true in that film as well. Um, everything is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like you get the sets from uh, inside the house and. Depending on whose room it is, it can be warm and inviting, or it can be cold, or it can be distant. You know, so you get to know about the characters from the settings within the same house, and you know, like even uh, I forget the what Anna de Armas's character's name. Uh, you know, when you know, when you're in her apartment with her mom and her sister. Yeah, Marla. Uh, Marla, yeah. Sorry, real quick. This uh, this scene here where Hux slams down on the ground, the stunt guy busted his nose. Doing that shot, I think that was in the uh, director's commentary. Uh, Ryan Johnson mentioned he said he winces every time he sees it because when the guy hits the floor, you see his face just bounce right off, and it Ooh. broke his nose. <laughs> so this right here with Finn, that was supposed to be the opening shot of the movie, and like, and it freaked Ryan Johnson out. He didn't. He said he didn't like the beginning of it because he didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, it just wasn't telling the story right. So, well, again, you you know, you expect that people coming to see Last Jedi saw the Force Awakens, so they kind of know where you left Finn. But as an opening, as the beginning, as the first thing you see out of the movie, I don't know that it would have worked as well. Was it Finn naked bag? What was it? What was the? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Leaking bag, fin naked right. leaking bag, I think. Yeah, fin naked leaking bag. <laughs> and, and this is the transition that you want. Where's Ray? And then you're going to see where's Ray. Um, yeah. it, it works so much better having that sequence with Finn mm-hmm. there at the end. I, uh, I still can't believe that I was on a boat right outside of Skellig Michael. It wasn't that bright and sunshiny, I'll tell you that. But was it that green? It was that green, yes. Were you that green? uh, Yes, I was at that point, yeah. (laughs) Because we we got there, and it was fine. The the boat ride out there, and I'd taken Dramamine. Uh, By the way, I want to talk about this for a second. I have no problem with Luke tossing the lightsaber. I have a problem with how he tossed the lightsaber. This This is such a vaudevillian, you know, flick i think it would have been much more effective if he like just 
chucked it down at no just right like right down to the ground right at his feet you know not over his, over the back of his shoulder oh that's just me but anyway no we we're on the boat and it was all good and um and then he he killed the engines and we started rocking and that was fine too but i made the mistake of looking down at my camera and then looking back up at skelly michael and then it was all bets are off oh my goodness so but that, as I say, it must have been an amazing experience, though. Oh, it was very cool. Very cool. And puffins everywhere. So that's why you got porgs. Um, but uh, now, you know, this made total sense to me. The, you know, Luke not wanting anything to do with with Ray. I mean, it was kind of a curveball, but, you know, it made total sense. But, of course, again, when I saw this in the theater, I was on drugs. So... Um, from having <laughs> surgery. This is my favorite shot of the porgs playing with the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, I think it's understandable why at the beginning, you know, the first time you see it, everybody's reaction is like, what the heck? When he chucks the lightsaber over his, uh, over his uh, shoulder, because your expectations of who Luke is are immediately subverted. At the same time, though, you have to give the movie time to explain why he did such a thing. You know, you can't just simply go, well, he wouldn't have done that. It's like, well, hold on. Let me explain why he would do that. Yeah, let's, get to, that let's get to it. Yeah. And I love the fact that Ray goes and gets Chewbacca. Yeah. I like Chewbacca's entrance. Yeah. And it's interesting. I never even thought about watching the movie when Luke says, where's Han? Mm -hmm. That I mean, that, that was your first clue that he has closed himself off to the Force. You know, he would have known mm -hmm. if when Han Solo died because a it's one of his best friends, and b it was his nephew that did it. He would have known. You know, mm -hmm. so the fact that Absolutely. he did close close himself yeah. off, should, hindsight being twenty twenty, yeah, mm -hmm. it but, makes perfect sense. But also, I mean, this is something that I was thinking of about it, you know, right before. Or yesterday, as far as thinking about this movie again, it's like we don't see. I mean, and I'll bring it up right now as we're seeing Kyle Ren and Snoke speak. We really haven't, we don't see or hear of anything that Kylo has learned from Snoke apart from whatever he picked up while he was Luke's pupil. You know, you know, the ability to wield the lightsaber. Well, you know, Ben Solo had that. The ability to, you know, it's really only using the dark side of the force that he's taught and that up to a point. So the idea of how much more training and how much more uh, understanding of the force has happened in the 30 years since Return of the Jedi, it doesn't seem like there's been much growth from either side. So do you think Luke knew that uh, Snoke was Palpatine's puppet, basically? Well, that's that's an interesting question because on the one hand, we have Leia who recognizes that it was Snoke. I mean, she says to Han, it was Snoke who turned our son. So she knows who she's blaming. Yeah, well, let's, let's, let's be honest. In episode seven, that was not a thing right. yet. You know, that hadn't right. been created. That was like them being twins, you know. Um, right, 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 right. But it's also the idea of would, would uh, Luke even have sensed Palpatine would he have known about him? Because there's no indication that he does. And, well, until episode nine, when they yeah. write that in, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you're you're a Palpatine. I know that. 
<laughs> and he's around. I know that too. And here's what you need to do. And, uh, you know, so like, you know, they, they did all, they did all of those things, but you know, it's so funny to me. Like Snoke reminds me of the mystery box problem. Mm -hmm. And this is like one of the many issues that Ryan Johnson had to deal with in this movie, which was all the mystery boxes that had been left for him. And, you're like it put it in a position of having to explain so much. It's like, okay, well let's pay all these things off. Yeah. And there was no, there was no exposition done on Snoke at all, except that he was. And, the leader. And, yeah. and so like ultimately his solution of like, he's not interesting. He's, he's not interesting. He's 2d let's kill him off mm -hmm. uh, and see what that does for Kylo. Um, I ultimately thought that was a really interesting decision to make. And I mean, we talk about deconstructing. There's a lot that we're probably going to get into during the course of this runtime, but um, ultimately what happens to Snoke, I'm, I'm totally cool with. Same here. Uh, and I thought for one, I mean, you, the seed of it's planted in this very first scene where Kylo, I mean, where Snoke confronts Kylo Ren about how, killing his father didn't do what he expected him to do. And the weird thing is, Snoke doesn't take that on himself as, uh, oh, I failed. Uh, you know, I gave you the wrong advice. It's, you failed because you're not strong enough. So it's a rift's already being created because Kylo, you know, Kylo's already done the darkest thing he could possibly do to give himself wholly to the dark side, and it hasn't worked the way that they thought it would. Well, and then so, if you then if you take away his influences whether it's luke for the good or snoke for the bad that makes him even more dangerous mm -hmm. you know somebody who's i mean he he doesn't have control of his powers and and his teachers are now you know so yeah he's just he may it makes him more dangerous so it made sense that they get rid of snoke here eventually which uh, is which goes back to what i was asking regarding by the way spoiler alert to everybody <laughs> yeah oh the line <laughs> What, you think I'm going to go walk out there with a laser sword stare down the first order? Come on now. Oh, uh, that's such a good line. It is a perfect line. But, no, but the idea of how much teaching did Snoke actually give Kylo Ren? Because it, well, he... it, it goes to the idea of it's, you know, Snoke is just, you know, when, uh, when Han confronts Ben about he's just using you for your power. He's right. He's a he's an abuser, very much so. And you see that, and you don't really get to see that in a lot of these other movies where the you see that apprentice master relationship on the dark side of things. Um, you see some of that with Palpatine and and Vader, but here you you you're flat out seeing someone suppressing someone else and abusing them. And, Just taking uh, what they can do and turning it for their own gain, and and it it adds so much more to the scene later when when Ben ultimately kills him. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but it's like why how, you have at that moment belief and hope that he could turn. Mm -hmm. You are thrilled and excited by what you're seeing because you're like, yes, you know he. He was justified in, in making that kill, but 
he he ultimately doesn't make the right decision in that in that moment. Um, he he's making the right decision, but for the wrong reason. It's not to free himself of what Snoke poured into him, but it's just to get rid of Snoke because he doesn't need him, and in a way that's right. 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 I love the whole sequence with uh, old man Luke. <laughs> By the way, here where they're filming, you know, the the tree and stuff like. Well, I guess that was on Iceland. They did that, but they when they they film some stuff just off of the coast of uh, Ireland, um, just off the coast of Dingle. They couldn't get back on Skellig Michael for a length of time, so they rebuilt that whole you know Luke's village type thing right off of Dingle. And my uh, one of my coworkers could like you know could see it, so that's kind of cool. I love the sequence in the tree. Um, I would have loved more. Yeah. Like I hinted at this stuff in the trailers and I'm thinking, Oh, this could be really cool. Learning more about what's in the sacred texts and, and where the Jedi come from and all that stuff. Um, but it's funny because it becomes Ryan's like little mystery box in a way. And he shelves it by the end of the movie. Well, this is, I, this is just one of the best interactions between Mark Hamill and Daisy Ridley in the whole movie. You know, this, this sequence right here, I just think it's really well acted. Um, really well directed. Um, Hamill crushes it here. Oh yeah. Oh no. In, in many ways, I think this is probably his best performance since Empire. I mean, in terms of understanding of the character, understanding what the character is, what he's trying to do. Again, you know, there's been a lot of said and you know, spoken about and written regarding what the real Luke have done this, but he does a good job of showing you that this Luke would have done this. You know, I love. I'm sorry, I love the line said. No one's from nowhere. Where are you from, uh, Jakku? All right, that's pretty much nowhere. <laughs> So again, it was, I, I think Ryan Johnson, he, he's following that Irvin Kirshner, you know, like I said, humor without gags. Uh, and that, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of a gag, you know, but it's not the, you know, we got a call for Hugs's mother, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it, it seemed to fit. It seemed to fit more. Um, well, well, again, it fits the character, you know, uh, Luke is not going to make fun of her. He's, you know, he's agreeing with her with that line. But at the same time, he's also disarming the situation because there's a barrier that's been established between him and Ray from the onset because the first thing he she does is show him the lightsaber. First thing he does is chuck it away. So now he's, you know, they're having to come to terms with why he's doing what he's doing. I'll never forget that this scene right here of him leaving the cave, they released that trailer on good friday mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's a fun little nugget mm -hmm. incidentally that to me is one of the best trailers uh for any movie ever um the full trailer for this movie it was it just the score is immaculate if you haven't watched it in a while go back and watch it it's it's so good and first time we've seen the effects of coming out of hyperspace, see the bottle wobbling. Mm -hmm. Every time anybody's come out of hyperspace, it's just like, okay, we're going slower now. I, I like how they have added some of these, you know, yeah, this is what would happen, you know. 
And I love the fact that first thing Leah's like, okay, I know what I got to do. I don't want to do it. I know what I got to do. Okay, get out there. And she's still very much the general. She's still very much the leader of the rebellion, now the resistance. It's, she makes the hard choices, which is this, one of the central elements of her character. You know, Han will run away. Luke will run away. You know, people will come and go. She's the one who's going to stick to the fight no matter what. Yeah, if there's one bad thing about uh, The Last Jedi being right after The Force Awakens, that Finn in the sequel trilogy does not have a good arc. No. He, he, has, yes. a, he has a plateau and a spike. It's, you know, it's, it's, it, he doesn't, we're not able to follow him on a, on a well thought out journey. It's just because it, I mean, his, his story in this movie is basically the same story as in the force awakens. So we kind of get stalled on Finn. And, uh, and then, so, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, and then rise of Skywalker really gives him no ending. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that critique. I, the subtle difference for him in this movie from the previous is that originally he was acting out of like, well, if originally he was like, well, I'm just getting away from this situation because I don't like it. And then in this movie, it's more about I'm going to get involved in this cause because I believe in it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that, there is that small shift because in, in Force Awakens, he's just trying to rescue Rey. Um, and here he has to learn, like, you know, no, you're, it's actually worth getting involved in this fight. You're on the right side. Yeah, but it um, doesn't come until later. He's still trying to rescue Rey. You know what yeah. I mean? It's, yeah. I'm sorry. It's the microcosm for this whole movie. We're in a slow speed chase, you know. Mm -hmm. um, which, by the way, a uh, couple Rogue One references in this movie. One is the hyperspace tracking that was first mentioned in rogue one and the uh other is the the ship that Leia's on is the radis yep so yeah by the way no, no surprise that kylo ren is a great pilot given his pedigree <laughs> you don't think about that but you're like wait a minute your dad was han solo your mom's a trained jedi leader you know you know, your uncle, your, your uncle blew, blew up the Death Star. Yeah, you got that all in your kid. And his grandfather. Exactly. <laughs> so it makes perfect sense that he'd be the guy capable of, uh, you know, piloting and, uh, you know, doing stuff and, you know, taking it to the, uh, the opponent. It's almost a shame we didn't get more. You know, mm -hmm. to be honest, I mean, we got that the sequences here and they pay off in a really emotional way. Mm -hmm. um, but we probably could have seen more of that from him. He, he should be the best pilot in the galaxy. Though I guess Poe has that claim as well. Or thinks well, he does. But, but we should have seen at least one, you know, dodge fight, no, dog fight between the two of them. Yeah, once. that would have been fabulous. Get the two of them. That would have been awesome. Yeah, I like There's the uh, obviously the connection Kylo to uh, Leia. In many, in many ways, that calls back to Empire at the end of Empire with Luke and Vader. Yeah, you know that same idea, and I love the fact that he hesitates. It's the one thing he cannot bring himself to do. 
and it comes back big time to write Skywalker when it when it's her that saves him. Let's all bow our heads for the loss of Admiral Akbar. For the last time. <laughs> you know, for the last time it was killed 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 off screen. Uh, you know, it's funny that people got so upset about that. And I mean, that was had, such a crock. He has, he has like about a couple lines in return of the Jedi and everybody thinks he's, you know, you know, I don't know, star Wars, Jesus or something, but some, um, some person came up with the idea that Akbar should have been in Holdo's shoes and thusly to get Holdo out of the picture. And thusly Akbar's death became a big deal for people, but it's like, come on each, I mean, yeah, I, I sympathize with people, Akbar fans who lost Akbar off screen, but uh... now I wish that Old Miss. I've said it before on this podcast. <laughs> I wish that Old Miss would have gotten Admiral Akbar as their mascot. Um, like I said, I would have bought so many Old Miss shirts. That would have uh, been perfect. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the University of Oregon gets permission from Disney to have Donald Duck in their merch. Why can't uh, Old Miss have Admiral Akbar merch? All right, so let's let's talk about flying Leia. Space I, Leia. I, I, Space I don't. Weapons. Yeah, I don't really have a problem with her having the force abilities to do this. It just looks so bad. It looks stiff, and I think that's the problem. It looks yeah. like they just have a mannequin and they're just like swinging it on a string. Um, it, it just looks bad. Well, well that's you know, just it. It's how She's, gorgeous this movie is, that's just the worst special effects that they had. Anyway. But. No, I was going to say, no, I mean, given all the dynamic elements that you have around her, the debris field uh, and all the stuff that's floating her, I love the moment when she cuts right through the uh, hologram of the ship. Yeah. You know, where her body cuts across that. But just the idea of she's very stiff. She's, she's an extended arm and the rest of her body you know, at an angle. And that's the only thing that's moving. And that's the one thing that took me out. That's why everybody calls, call, you know, comparison to Mary Poppins because it looks like a special effect from 60, 70 years ago. Oh, Chewy eating porgs. Yeah. <laughs> another, another favorite moment. I just, again, this is humor without, you know, gags. I mean, it's. <laughs> it's the it's, same as the, uh, the monkey lizard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, and, and Chewy's. <laughs> Like this is when Chewie becomes a vegan, you know. <laughs> this is this is why I couldn't have lived on a farm. If I would have seen Bessie the cow, I wouldn't have been able to eat steaks. I just can't do it. I have to believe that my food comes from a plastic package in a store. Uh, I, I do envy people that did not have problems with uh, Leia. In, in that scene be, uh, the first time around because it is so jarring and it does take you out of the movie. And, uh, you know, by the end of this movie, I, I was in the same shoes you were, Aaron, where I was like, do I like this? You know, did I like that movie? Did Star Wars just jump the shark for me? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it goes back to that scene. It, it was I, so odd. By the way, I love, and again, sorry, I love this scene between Luke and R2. So, hey, Sacred Island, watch the language, you know. I mean, but then it, this and is where you see the old Luke. Yeah. And then when he, when R2 plays the hologram of Leia, I, I just think this whole scene is just well conceived, you know, R2 being the manipulator. 
Well, it makes sense because it's R2 that gives him the original call. It was R2's message that well, let's, think, no, let's, let's go back, further back. R2 has a lot of stock in this fight, you know, and he was, he's been around since day one. And now to see, you know, Luke peter out, he's probably like, hey, no, 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 no. So yeah. it would make sense that he would, uh, that he would, you know, pull, pull this card. Yeah. But I just, I just love that scene from Chewie eating the porgs to, you know, R2 and Luke. Just really well done. So before we get into some of the critiques, I mean, like that was definitely one with Leia, and then now we're going to get into some of this side quest stuff with Finn and Rose and the slow speed chase and all these rough spots. I, I did want to give Mount a minor defense for Ryan Johnson because I I think all of us agree that he he was really sort of painted into a corner with this movie. Um, he might have had the toughest job of any director on a Star Wars movie ever. And, you know, just to give you context, this is the sequel to the biggest U.S. film ever. This is an immediate follow-up to a billion-dollar world, worldwide film in Rogue One. Um, obviously it has Star Wars on the name of it. So he's trying to live up to all these massive expectations. Um, and then everything in Force Awakens sort of painted him into a particular corner. Um, all the loose ends that they had to tie up. Um, well, not even loose ends, but like we talked about earlier, I mean, there was really no character building exposition done in the force awakens it's like okay we've got these new people and it's you just get cursory stuff um they're all don't... mystery boxes so you know he... we talked so you know he... we talked we talk about the jj mystery box but the new characters were were all mystery boxes by the end of that first film you didn't know anything about any of them yeah and it creates a dynamic where it it leaves ryan with the task of having to explain who each one of them are, present them as fully realized characters, and continue a story. And that's a lot to do but, in two hours. Well, and that being said, though, he didn't need to spend, you know, 40% of the movie, you know, running out of gas. That's true. They could have gotten yeah. a crate. They could have gotten crate sooner. They could have, you know, I, I'm just saying, it's just that's where, this is where it starts, like, really, you know, I know Empire, I, I know... Empire has the the whole asteroid chase, but it's a much more, you know, nail biting. You know, it's it's faster moving than than this. But but yeah, no, you're right. You're right, Dave. It's uh, Ryan, and he was also so he's trying to do, you know, everything in this movie, and um, it would be interesting to hear you know, get Ryan Johnson drunk and say, if, if you could go back and do it over again, what changes would you make? Mm -hmm. you and I, I think, you know, that's a point that I think people have made before and I would agree with regarding if we had gotten to crate first, you know, kind of end the slow speed chase first, you know, get to create, create a dynamic where the resistance is having to hold off while Rose and Finn go try to get more help. You know, maybe it would have created a better dynamic because at least at that point, you're not looking at them slowly inching away, but you're asking them to hold out, kind of to seal up 
you know, Lord of the Rings reference, the Battle of Helm Sleep situation where you try to wait to hold out till the dawn. And by the way, I know that uh, I know why they, I know why Ryan Johnson did it. You know, it's to create more tension in the story. But just from a just from a a leadership standpoint, Holdo should have just said to Poe, "Yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. This is the plan. All right, so I'm going to need you to go do this. Not mm-hmm. like read the right act. Yeah, not not you know spank him in front of everybody, and then uh, so yeah." As much as I like the Holdo character, it's like, why don't you just say, yeah, we're, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> but again, I, I understand the opposite argument of, uh, in that um, in that particular argument. Because it's just like, well, she doesn't owe him that. He's a subordinate. And she doesn't have to tell him what they're planning to do at all. Especially since he's just been demoted. Um, and like that was Princess Leia's like last act. Um before slipping into a coma is to demote this guy. So now she's going to like tell him everything, you know, I, I, within the context of the story, it makes sense to me why she wouldn't, but of course it creates that conflict and the tension. And it's why there's um, why they butt heads throughout this whole scene sequence. The other thing I was going to say is, is it odd that, that Holdo and, Poe do not know one another, given the size of the resistance as we know it. Yeah, because like there are there are moments where like the end, by the end of this movie, it's like it feels like the entire resistance is on the the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that's not the case because there are other ships um, off caravanning around because of. Um, uh, JJ's boy, uh, I forget his name. Uh, the character actor who he he puts in everything. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, well, he's one of the pilots, and I guess like, how do you explain he wasn't in the in the second movie? And like, well, well, he was on this other mission, you know. So it's like, okay, so the director himself has said there were other resistance members elsewhere. Um, but it's a good question because you're like. They look so small in numbers. Mm-hmm. You would kind of think everybody would know everybody else. Or at least the idea of, you know, the best pilot in the resistance, a, a squadron commander knowing a vice admiral, you know. You know and and I, again, I go back to bring logic. I understand that in Star Wars, you know, the you know, chain of command and, you know, it's very fast and loose. It gets played around with a lot. So the idea of, okay, your vice admiral, your admiral, your commander, your captain. I mean, even Poe kind of goes, I don't care what you call me. You can call me whatever you like. So, yeah, but that idea of, wait a minute, you two are characters who are important to Leia and you've never met. How did that happen? So let's, uh, let's talk about Rose since she's now in, you know, in the business so, here. Um, first of all, I, I liked her character from the get-go. Um, you know, Kelly Marie Tran was an awesome actress for that role as well. Um, and so let, let's, let's put aside, you know, uh, well, you know, so we know in the rise of Skywalker, she's not utilized at all, but how is that any different from Lando in going from empire to Jedi? Because in Jedi Lando has a couple lines and yeah, he's flying up against the death star, but really I bet if you, if you did a timing thing, I bet they, are probably treated the same way. 
Yeah, isn't that, isn't that kind of what Star Wars does? You know, in, in each act, you get a, a character and then there you get less of that character. I mean, Rose was not, and I'm being, I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm just kind of saying these to get a conversation started. She's not, she's not like one of the main characters. That's Poe, Ray, and Finn. Can, can I put it to you this way? Uh, I heard somebody, uh, I was watching a, a YouTube ch uh, channel discussing, they were talking about Lord of the Rings. That's what's in my head. Uh, and they were saying, discussing the character of Samwise Gamgee. And they're saying, he's not the protagonist of that story, but he's a hero of this, sto of a, of this story. And Rose is much the same kind of level of character as Sam. He, she's not the protagonist. She's not the character whose arc we're going to follow through from beginning to end. But she is somebody who's going to represent the best values of the, what the movie's trying to project. All right, so let's now. Now you got me thinking about something different here. So, uh, and now we're seeing Moss on screen right now, and I'd like to address that too yeah, eventually. But yeah, go ahead with. Uh, well, Kelly no, Marie. go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about Moss. I won't forget about. I won't forget okay, about. Uh, well, like okay, so this the is fact a waste. That done dirty here. Yeah, yeah this is a waste. Mm -hmm. This is a complete waste, and like. They could have done a million different things with her, um, and they did. And they did this, and I just, I, it just bothers me, right? I, I, from from the moment that she appeared in the first in seven, mm -hmm. I kind of earmarked her as being kind of a force sensitive surrogate, right? And and she was. That's what she was. And yet they never really paid that. Off. I mean, I guess you could say in nine they did a little bit with it, but um, I thought for sure she could be a really cool contrast to a Jedi. Mm -hmm. um, you could different insights into the Force, potentially a different kind of training that a, that a Force sensitive person could get through her lens. I, you know, there's a lot that could have happened there, and it, none of it did. Because how does she? I mean, uh, Han tells us in Force Awakens that she's very well, old. been running the bar for like a thousand years. So she's on a little similar age level as Yoda. So maybe she doesn't understand the Force as deeply as Yoda, obviously. But you'd figure in a thousand years she's come to understand the dynamic of the Force and picked up some things along the way. So here's okay. So I'm going to get to my uh, first of all. I agree with everything you said, Dave, because yes. Maz was is just a wasted character um she could have she could have been just yeah but i mean the interesting that you know again ryan johnson was handed off this thing and he had to decide you know who are the characters that i want to you know really explore right um so it gets back to your mystery box thing but here's my deal that i was just thinking about this because when you're talking about how sam wise is not the protagonist mm -hmm. I think that these sequel trilogy movies have too many protagonists. You know, if, if you think about it, yes, in the in the original trilogy, yeah, we had Han, Luke, and Leia, mm -hmm. and going up against Vader. And but and Han and Leia were always side; they're always side characters to Luke. It was ultimately Luke versus Vader, and you got a little bit of Han's character development. You got a little bit of Leia's character development, but it was mainly about Luke's development. I think in these three movies, it's like we're trying to tell all of Finn's story. We're trying to tell all of Ray's story. We're trying to tell 
as much of Poe's story as we can. We're trying to tell all of Kylo's story. Then we're trying to figure out who Snoke is. It's like they 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 put too much in the gumbo. I wouldn't disagree with that. I, I wouldn't at all. I mean, realistically, this is kind of the the weird thing that comes from Force Awakens. When we start, we start with Poe, but it's not a story. Then we move to Finn, and we think, oh, Finn is because primarily the trailers have been focused a lot on Finn, but it's not his story. Ultimately, it turns out to be revealed that it's Ray's story. And well, what's there's just, odd... there's just I'm sorry, there's just so much noise, you know, with all this. Mm -hmm. You're right. I mean, it's like, again, when I was in my band, you know, in my Irish band, it's like, we got a guitar player comping, we've got a mandolin player comping, and then I'm, you know, comping on my drum, and it gets to, everybody's going dugga, 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 dugga at the same time, and it gets to be so noisy that eventually I would just stop, and like, I, I had to say, I've got to simplify what I'm doing, because it's just making everything else muddy, mm -hmm. and so I, I wish they would have just said, we're going to focus mainly on Ray's story. Mm -hmm. Would the oh. would the sequels have been better off? And I think you brought this point up previously. Oh, there's Dave. Been... Oh, do you hear me? Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. What well, you, you, we've made the point before, I think, that would the sequels have been better off if the um, older characters had been killed off right away? Well, not necessarily killed off, just sent off. You know, they can put yeah. them home, Rich, yeah, retired in a home or something. This is like give them more space to breathe, the new characters to breathe, and 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 us a chance to get to know them a little bit better. And like that's again, that's part of the weakness of Force Awakens. So you're you're in the position in this movie of having to learn who these people actually are and what their weaknesses are and what their dreams are, and like Ray is mostly a blank slate. I think you you understand that she wants to belong and she wants to find her place. Um but again, like we don't know how deeply and until you really get into it here. And I love this sequence with, with Luke training her. Um because it just it cuts right to the heart of it. Well, and it's it, it's something that she says when they're in, the first time that they're in the temple, you know, that she has this power and she's trying to find herself. And she'll even repeat it again a few more times. It's she's trying to find her place in all of this. She's trying to find out who she is. So she's very much telling you, I am a blank slate. I only know who I am uh, or what I am. I don't know who I am. And, you know, she's wrapped her identity around the idea of her parents. She's wrapped her identity in the idea of, you know, having this power but not knowing who she is. So, I, I, also, I also want to say it's a really powerful thing, uh, the force connection thing that she has with Kylo. Right? This is a new thing. It's really intriguing for us as viewers because it's like, what is this all about? Right? This is a curveball, mm -hmm. but it's really powerful thing that that happens for her before she can even start to train. So yeah. she's already in a position of being distracted and confused and having this other voice in her ear, you uh, know, and, it, and that's going to limit her. It creates a wonderful dynamic for putting her and Kylo, the protagonist and the antagonist, in direct conflict and continuous conflict without having to both put them in the same room. 
which I think yeah. is really well done. I have to I have to say I'm, I'm going to take us on a on a dovetail here for a second. You know, uh, this lesson that Luke is teaching her, you know, about balance and how it's you know for the Jedi to say the Force is all theirs, or it, it basically he's making the argument that you can't be all good or all bad. You know, and actually, we we saw that in Return of the Jedi. What's the first thing we see Luke Skywalker do in Return of the Jedi? It's the first thing we see him do. Choke a guard. What? <laughs> choke a guard. Yeah, he chokes Gamorrean guards. I mean, that's straight out of Darth Vader's playbook. You know, that's dark side stuff, right? And so, you know, Luke is, I mean, again, so people, I, I, I think Luke recognizes that, there needs to be that that whole idea of a gray Jedi, you know, I think balance. Right. I mean, it's like anybody who said, you okay, so you can, you can fight in defense, but you're still going to be harnessing some aggression to defend yourself. You know, it's so. It it goes to the second lesson that he's going to give her about the history of the Jedi. Thanks do on Spotify. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I don't know what that was. I don't know what, what, Fred, what Fredo's what, apartment is haunted yeah, by, well, by Siri. It's, it's, Sounds uh, like a disco in the middle of uh, yeah, the exactly. Hey, look, we're going to a casino. What can I say? No, I was going to say the idea of what the force is. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I like the I like the porgs destroying the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and taking off Chewbacca. <laughs> Again, just awesome. And they did, I'm sorry, afraid to interrupt you, but they did, they did the porg so right, where it's just like little three, five second vignettes that go, make you go, ha, ah, and then they move on to other stuff, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it was great. It's got a little color. Yeah. Particularly because it's so gray, you know, when it's raining. And we're going to get to another moment right now where they, uh, Ben and, and Ray connect. But just the idea of going back right quick to, what the essence of the force is and you know that it's this energy field that doesn't belong to anybody because it belongs to everybody it's generated by everybody it's very it's i think the most uh we ever get in the star wars movie the to describe the force in terms of as a religion as opposed to anything else uh because you really don't get a lot of discussion from the jedi whether it's in the prequels or the clone wars about the nature of the force you know it's out from those few episodes with uh, Yoda at the end of uh, season six, you know, basically the Jedi very much dogmatic. This is what the force is. And if you're on the light side, you're with us. If you're on the dark side, you're an enemy. We got to destroy you. And uh, that's part of what um, uh, Luke is trying to teach Ray is that idea of, no, no, we're not all light or all dark. We're everything. So, uh, you know, we've talked about how much I hated the whole Ray low thing. Mm-hmm. And yes. I and what this just interaction between her and Kylo just now is why I hated that whole thing because it wasn't like Han and Leia who didn't get along in A New Hope. It was Kylo was being manipulative and abusive from the get go, and we get a payoff of a big smooch, you know, in The Rise of Skywalker. I just I just think mm-hmm. it I just think it sends a bad message. So I think he can, I think he can be redeemed. He can, you know, save her, save her life. Spoiler alert, you know, uh, save her in rise of Skywalker, but to pay it off with that, then just, I don't know, 
And I'm sorry, this right here. I yeah, we're about to get to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the it's the voice. It's the voice from uh, um, Thunder Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. You know, keep your hands in the cart, kids. <laughs> So I know we, we kind of skipped a bit regarding what the plan is for Finn and for uh, Rose, but the idea of the master code breaker. Now, when that was first introduced in the theater, my thought is, oh, she's sending them to get Lando. Because I don't know why, but that's why I thought that were, the fact that they're not telling you his name, the fact that they're trying to be all mysterious about it, I figured, okay, you're going to see a character from the original trilogy. And, and another big thing we didn't get a payoff. I, I want Benicio Del Toro. I want, I want that character. I want, you know, uh, Dia. Or what, what was his name? Yeah, DJ, DJ. DJ. I want a DJ in, and I was expecting DJ in The Rise of Skywalker. And nope, he's just gone. You know, it's. Uh, By the way, uh, the designs of uh, Canto Bite, I know not a lot of people didn't like it. Did it feel more Fifth Element than Star Wars for you? I, I don't know. It felt more Earth than Star Wars. You know, it, it felt very based in things that are familiar to us. So I don't, I don't necessarily like that. I mm -hmm. There's a lot of stuff in Attack of the Clones that's similar. Like you've got the sports bar and you've got the freaking diner. Um, you know, like things like that that just feel too familiar. Or even Padme's Lake. You know, house on, you know, in Italy. Yeah. I mean, this is like you're you're at freaking uh, Monte Carlo, right? Or right. you know, or something yeah. like that. And it's just like, okay, you know, I, we we all get it. <laughs> Space Monte Carlo, but um, you know, I, I guess the execution here I don't like. And I guess if I'm going to complain about anything with this movie, it, it really is going to boil down to the execution. I, I think the idea behind Canto Bite is good. We haven't really dealt with this theme of austerity in Star Wars in the same way. Um, it's like people keeping other people down mm -hmm. and, and, and how wealth can, can factor into that. And um, I like that they didn't like shy away from that as a theme. And I, I like the fact that they that Ryan Johnson tried to tackle that, but it's just like again, some of this stuff just feels. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't work as well for me as a lot of the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it, it, this is what's interesting is there's a shuttle, Parker's. Sorry, yeah, Aaron's <laughs> favorite character of the entire trilogy. No, but it's the. I don't know. It, in some ways, I think part of the dynamic with Canto Bite is that it's trying to hit some higher motifs and some higher lessons than previous Star Wars movies have kind of hit in some ways. You know, the idea of what war is, the idea of those who profit from continued bloodshed and chaos, the idea of uh, just the fact that it's an ugly business, but so, so many of the people who, you know, are put down, you know, or who rise because of it, turn around and start abusing others, so... But it's done so, I guess that's part of the design, is that it's done in such a garish nature so as to be off-putting. Yeah. But it doesn't come off as Star Wars. In a way, we kind of describe, like, you know, uh, so much of stuff out of The Mandalorian is looking and feeling like Star Wars. That didn't necessarily feel like Star Wars per se, but that could be, you know, a trap unto itself. 
By the way, uh, coming up here, uh, again, another element that I just thought was funny. I love the caretakers and how he <laughs> used that as well. Again, these are just little, just little two-second, you know, th lighten the mood type moments, you know, when a rock comes, crashes on their cart. But uh, Just action, reaction. Because the thing is, you've already established that uh, Ray's done something wrong. They're not happy with her. And then she <laughs> does something else that they're not going to be happy with. Yeah, I was, I was Just look funny. down, slow <laughs> look up, disappointed look. Yeah. And we're we're coming up on the, uh, I think the, well, the only time in the, uh, the only time Luke Skywalker or anybody anybody has ever said Darth Sidious instead of the Emperor. They say Darth Sidious. I think Yoda said Darth Sidious in episode three. Right. But uh, I just thought it was interesting that he said allowed Darth Sidious to... I, I just think that was interesting writing is all. But... Um, I would show you that he's communicated with, with Ben and Yoda over the years and has gotten the full story. And... Um, you know, it it makes a lot of sense narratively, and I like the idea because, in many ways, we know that from uh, Force Awakens that a lot of what happened in the original trilogy has now passed on to legend. It's only been thirty years, but it's already been canonized, so to speak. So the idea that when uh, Ray tells Luke, "You saw the good in the most evil man in the galaxy, the most hated man in the galaxy," so. Uh, you know, but that you could, so you're able to redeem him and this topple the empire has already passed on to myth for people. And in some ways, that's what Luke is trying to grasp with the idea of having been the myth and having failed like any normal person would fail. And, and I think, like, you know, we chalk up the, the Luke for all three of us, Luke's character works in this movie, but for a lot of people, he doesn't. And it's this idea that he could fail and that that failure would stay with him and that he wouldn't just bounce back or just overcome it right away. And a lot of people just, they, they didn't like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like that's where this movie struggled the most in, in trying to win hearts and minds is like there, people had this headcanon when it came to Luke Skywalker in particular, of uh, mm -hmm. he's a certain way, and I believe him to be the frozen Dave again. This thing or that thing, and yeah. it just—oh, I'm sorry. No, um, no, no, but as I was saying, I people had this headcanon. Yeah, people had this headcanon in mind for Luke uh, coming into this thing. And JJ got to sidestep that in, in part seven because he's just like, oh, well, we'll just show Luke up at the end. Um, Ryan had to actually do something with him. Um, and again, people are really split on whether this works. Um, I think that it, I think that it does. I think all three of us think that it does. Um, I think it's it, a power. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, and it's, it's because of the I think ultimately for me, it's because of the way it pays off at the end. You can, you can have him have those kinds of struggles if you get to see that catharsis eventually. And I think it's a powerful lesson to kind of present to people. And 
look, it's a very complex one. And that's part of what makes the decisions that Ryan does here so compelling because the easiest thing to have done is say, oh, yeah, Luke was off somewhere looking for the first Jedi Temple. He was trying to do connect this way and that way, much in the same way that uh, uh, I believe it was Duel of the Fates wanted to rewrite uh, Luke's struggle, you know. But I think it, it actually takes bigger, you know, brass tacks, so to speak, to do what they did here, to show him, no, he failed. He struggled with that failure because at the end of it, he was still very much, even though he had risen to a legend, he was still very much a man. And, you know, you start studying or learning about any of our heroes or legends in modern time, and you get to find out that so many of them struggle with being that image to so many people, but also being a human being with loves and hates and likes and dislikes and disappointment and whatnot. And, you know, if we can't see it in our heroes, you know, you're not going to be able to see it in other people. Did we lose Aaron? No, I'm here. <laughs> okay, I was going to say. I'm just watching. Yeah, uh, no. Again, I, I dug the DJ character here. Um, apparently, I, I just re again reading something. Apparently, he was uh, supposed to be Darth Maul in Episode One until that character got kind of cut down, and it went to Ray Park. Which is so, a weird way. I think I think works work better in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, I love this character. I love the character of DJ. In regards to what he represents, he is, he is in a way Han if he never met Leia. He's Han if he never meets Luke and Obi-Wan at that cantina. He's just out for himself, to heck with the galaxy, I'm just going to do what I want to do in order to profit the best way. No, I would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Like I said, I think it would have been, that would have been a neat story to see continued, you know, Maybe they need to use him some way in the Rise of Skywalker. I don't know. Um, but I thought it was, one, again, one of those wasted characters. Uh, I think in some ways, yeah, because particularly the way it gets uh, left off at the end of this, and I know we'll get to it. It, it kind of gets left off, you know, the last time Finn and uh, DJ look at one another like, okay, there's going to be further down the line, but it never happens. I didn't think I would like BB-8 as much as I do <laughs> in, the, in the Force Awakens. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to like him as much. I, but, I mean, I think he won me over the minute he did the thumbs up with the lighter, you know. But uh, it's just I thought BB-8 was so well done here as well against just some fun moments. When I first saw the lighter, I, I read that as him lifting his middle finger for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought thumbs up until I read other people's reaction to it. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, if he's only got one finger, well, it's not a finger, it's a lighter. <laughs> well, now we have the giant uh, horse animals. The Fathiers. Yeah. Um, again, I like the concept a lot. You know? I'm getting, yeah, I'm getting a Juicy's vibe. <laughs> It, it's, it's a hard knock life for, for uh, sorry. Yeah, basically, don't get me wrong. Again, it's it's 
And yes, everybody, I know that's Annie. I'm not confusing my musicals. Go ahead, Fredo. Yeah, I don't think your wife would let you uh, be so misconstrued about musicals. She, she would pull your uh, your uh, Sanger season pass. Um, <laughs> but it's just the idea of, again, there's a great idea here. It's execution. The idea right. of you know finding the the ones that have been um, downtrodden, you know, because that's really who the resistance is fighting for. They're fighting for the downtrodden, the oppressed, the, the ones who've been stepped on by the powerful, and they're trying to upend uh, the dynamics of the galaxy. Well, see, so it makes sense that they would fight for them. And here's the deal: is that you don't you don't need them, you know, galloping around on fathers. They they could have. DJ could have swiped a shuttle. They could have been on a shuttle and on their way, you know. Um, or they could have used the five years as a, as a diversion. They go one way, we go another. Yeah. I, it, so. That is just very literal uh, subtext. Chase. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's we are going to trample the rich here. Uh, but remember, Rose says earlier, I wish I could put my fist through this whole beautiful town. Mm -hmm. And she gets to do it right here. Okay, that alien is straight out of Fifth Element. I'm sorry. <laughs> and that guy's just getting Mardi Gras the blues. That was uh, uh, Mark Hamill voicing that guy, by the way. Um, you know, and actually, you asked uh, about whether or not you like the. Uh, does it seem like Canto Bite was too, too real worldish? And I mean. I actually kind of liked uh, there's some in the rise of Skywalker that, that that's that way, you know, when they went to Kajimi, that's, I mean, that's Japanese architecture all the way. Um, it didn't bother me. It, it really didn't bother me all that much um, because it was, it fit within star Wars, but it was different, you know? Um, and I, th I think part of it is that maybe that's just me. We understand that they are star Wars are, movies inspired by other cinema, the Western, the samurai movie, the science fiction serial, that kind of thing. So we understand that a lot of the uh, imagery that it's going to generate, that it's going to have, is going to be borrowed from other cinema. So, you know, the idea of borrowing Monte Carlo and having, you know, you know, and having it fit here makes sense in some way, or the idea of borrowing uh, the Japanese uh, architecture for Kijimi. Again, makes sense. A lot of it, I keep, you know, I'll say it again. It's execution. It's how does it come off, and does it come off as as uh, organic, or does it feel like you just got stepped out of Star Wars into something else? So uh, interesting little thing again in this site that I'm looking at that uh, uh, says uh, Johnson had to do a lot of homework when preparing to direct The Last Jedi. He used three movies in particular to inspire the direction he took for the film. One was 12 o'clock high for the aerial combat scenes. Another one was three outlaw samurai for the sword fighting. And the last one was to catch a thief for the scale and grandeur. I have never seen any of the three of them. So. No, I think I've seen to catch a thief a long time ago. And it was good. It makes sense, particularly here. <laughs> well, this whole sequence, too, again, We've basically said it's 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 for Rose's benefit and and Ryan Johnson. I mean, it's indulgent. You know, he wanted us watch us tear down wealth, literally. Um, but it's it's it benefits. Rose. Yeah, it does. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm uh, froze again. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad that uh, the they cut out a lot of this Fothier chase because a lot of them get slaughtered along the way. That would That's have just, horrible. That would have just brought the whole thing down. So, but here we got uh, Luke connecting with the Force for the first time in a while. Do we kind of find interesting? He and Leia connect here. Which you gotta imagine, I mean, uh, given the strength and power that he has in the force, but that would be obvious to Kylo, that would be obvious to Snoke. Like, it would be crystal clear that, oh wait, shoot, that's Luke Skywalker. Leia, we get to see she comes to from this, and... Um, Obviously, we have a strong female protagonist, and we were just talking about how the Canto Bite stuff really benefits Rose. Um, Holdo is a major character. Um, this is the most feminist of all the Star Wars movies, in my opinion. And you say what? that you say that as we get shirtless, high pants Kylo Ren on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. But it, it, you know, it, it very much speaks to strong women making strong choices and, you know, controlling their own destiny. And it, it, it's not lost on me that a lot, a big chunk of the fan base um, took exception to this movie on, on many of those points but specifically. But then that speaks to my argument that that's why the Raylo thing is actually crappy because it takes away from that message. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I can, he's just a bad boy. I can turn him or, oh, he, you know, I, I just love him so much. I, I don't know. Everything boils down to you need a boyfriend, you know, and that's where she should have just, you know, kicked his McClunky and, you know, kicked him to the curb, you know? Um, so that whole Raylo insistence upon them, you know, and that's not, I don't, that's not what Ryan Johnson was getting at with these force connections. He was talking about intimacy. Yes. But we misconstrue, misconstrue, whatever we conflate. I can't talk cause I just had a beer, but we conflate intimacy with sexual things. And, 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 you know, and intimacy is like when you, that she and Kylo, yes, are, are developing a bond for better or for worse, but that does not mean that the, it is a romantic bond. And that's what tons of people went to that, oh, they love each other. And it's just like, it just, it takes away from... The, the character building of Ray, and like you said, that that feminist, you know, and this is really bold for three guys to be talking about feminism, but you know, but it, it just takes away from it, uh, and that's not what Ryan Johnson was trying to get across. I know it wasn't, but that's where the fan base took it, and it just torqued me off. And then J.J. Abrams had him kiss, and now, now I'm mad. I need another beer. We can talk about the cave while you're getting yourself a beer here. Um, no, I don't need another beer. <laughs> uh, this cave sequence. Um, I, I love what Ryan Johnson, have you guys seen Ryan Johnson's interviews about this particular scene? Um, 
Well, he it basically speaks to what would be her worst fear. Um, and like, that's what we encounter in Empire Strikes Back. So he's looking back to the source material. And in, in Luke's case, it was a personal connection with your greatest enemy. Um, and, and in Ray's case, it's you're not connected to anyone. Right. Because that's what she wants more than anything else. He's like, let's get to the heart of the character. And that's what she needs. And that's what she wants. And we're not going to give it to her. In many ways, she wants to be special. She wants to be, she wants to have something that makes her unique. And what this cave sequence is showing her is, no, not unique. You're one of mil, an endless number. You're one of the millions of ants that we see every day who has no value, no merit, no nothing that makes them different from anything else. And uh, I think that's, you know, that that fear that exists in her, that she has no value within herself because she was thrown away, so to speak, by her parents, uh, is what's really driving her to connect with the Force, to seek out Luke, but also it's fueling that bond she has with Kylo. It's that idea of, well, I want to connect with somebody, and in some ways that bond may not be a possible. I mean, yeah, to get to Aaron's point, the bond between her and Kylo is being formed doesn't necessarily mean it's a positive one in parts. In some ways, it's very negative because it's it's uh, tapping into the worst aspects of herself and into us. It's tapping into some of the worst aspects of Kyle Ren as well. You know, and it's also, it, we've talked about, again, talked about this before, um, the, where we all think it should have gone is that she should have been connected to nobody because that's the, that's what, make, what, what would have made this story special is that you don't have it's it's not about who you came from it's about who you are you know and you're you're influenced by so many different things and that's what this sequence was talking about yeah you want to know who your parents are but that doesn't matter what matters is who you are mm -hmm. now um and so as much criticism as we give ryan johnson for you know not taking what jj set up for him JJ did the exact same thing. You know, that was set up clear as a bell saying, hey, you know, it, she doesn't have to be anybody and you should just run with that. It's a better story. And he decided to make her a Palpatine. So. Because, I mean, and in some ways because it's easier. And look, uh, let's be fair. A lot of people were, because of the mystery box element, they were told to expect that there was a payoff to that, that, that there was a connection to something we've seen before. When I think the more powerful, more interesting story is that she is not connected to any of this, that in many ways she is free from everything that's come before and she can choose whatever path she, she wants to choose. You know, she can go down the dark side, she can go up to the light side, just a question of where she's gonna go. And right here we're getting that juxtaposition with her, Kylo and and uh, Luke. By the way, I, I think love, if you, oh, you like, yeah, this. I just love that. See how that whole thing is practical. How they blew apart an entire hut. It's not. It's not CGI. It's just a bunch. They're pulling a bunch of bricks away. I thought it was great. Anyway, go ahead. I was just gonna say that the Palpatine reveal for her in Rise of Skywalker 
I think it serves one purpose and one purpose only. It's to give you some measure of doubt about where she'll end up. It's like, oh, maybe she could be bad. Um, so we'll give you the lightning sequence and we'll tell you that she's a Palpatine so that you won't be sure that she but won't you know, give in to the dark side at some point. I, to I totally I totally get your point, but did we worry about that with Luke? I think, you know, in Return of the Jedi, I think our biggest fear was that Luke would die. You well, know, you know, you go back to the stuff you were talking about with the Gamorrean guards, him choking them, uh, being clad in black. Um, and by the time you get to the final sequence with him and Vader and the Emperor, and the Emperor is taunting him and saying, hey, you know, strike me down with all of your hatred and your journey to the dark side will be complete. Like, as, well, when I, we all watched that as kids and we're like, is that true? <laughs> is he going to turn to the dark side if he kills the Emperor here? It's like, I, what's going to happen? You know, so you get that, you did get kind of like that, that moment of doubt, but I mean, like, I, I think we all understood that he was our hero and that he was going to ultimately do the right thing. Speaking of I which, mean, that was, I mean, that was all an allegory to the 40 days in the desert, right? You know, I mean. But, was, but speaking of which, juxtapose that idea, the idea that, you know, if Luke strikes down the Emperor, he'll turn to the dark side with this moment, the, the true reveal of what happened between him and Ben in Ben's quarters when you know he flicks on the lightsaber for a brief moment he has that moment of instinct that says hey he's going to the dark side kill him now and he hesitates but that moment it's all that takes for uh, ben to wake up see him standing above him with a lightsaber lit up and go oh crap he's found me and for everything to go to crap you know to the hey, luke luke is a human you know, he, he's a flawed human being and he makes mistakes. And um, it's a really effective piece of storytelling, by the way, too, like to show the three different versions of that scene. Russell, you know? yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a great storytelling technique that he borrows to do that. But by the way, I was just thinking, as I was thinking back to the Return of the Jedi, the only reason Luke does not strike down Palpatine is because Vader blocks this blow. Yeah. The only reason True. Luke does not go down to the dark side is because Darth Vader saves him, weirdly enough. I'm sorry, <laughs> I was I was giddy at this point when they pan, you see Yoda's head. Oh, yeah. I was clapping, I think. I think I was literally clapping in the theater. Yeah. I think I think that was because I saw this uh, opening night over at the Broad Theater. Uh, Finn McCool had done like a bus. Of us and we just went together and everybody just started cheering. I love the young Skywalker. And and the people who got so bent out of shape about how Yoda looked, it's like they use the same mold. It's it's just like basically the exact same. It's a replica of the puppet. So right. you know you know there are some better. It, what I figured out is with Yoda, it's all about the angle of the camera and the lighting. Yeah. yeah. Because there are some points where he looks exactly like. Empire Strikes Back, Yoda. Um, and I love, the, I love the moment he just flicks the finger and boom. And uh, because of what it says about him, you know, he's, you know, and in a way, of course, you know, Yoda's way older and starts laughing like, a, yeah. like every little old grandpa and grandma might do. 
I like how this is Henri. Just he's just Henri Yoda. Mm -hmm. Is Henri Tego by Yoda? He's he's the same Yoda that you see when they first meet. That he's just picking on Luke because see, right, Luke right, that shot right there where he's in front of the fire. That's straight. Looks exactly like Empire Strikes Back. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about fan service not being a dirty word necessarily. It can be a good thing. And here it's a good thing. We get to see Yoda again. We get For to like see what? Yoda chastising Luke. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's just, it's lovely. It's wonderful. You get to see this old friend and these two people squabbling uh, again. And it just, it takes you back. Here and I love the fact that even though you've already, <laughs> he's still teaching him. You know, yeah. Yoda's been dead for over thirty-five years or thirty years, and uh, and he's still teaching Luke. He still sees Luke as his pupil because, I mean, and I think you know, in our professional careers in our lives, there's mentors that we come across in our lives that okay, you develop a relationship with them later on, but they never stop teaching you. And Yoda's very much that way with Luke. I love the idea of okay, you know, pass on what you have learned. So I told you what to do, and so okay. So let's let's now talk about a criticism of the prequels. Uh, one of the things I think the best thing they did with the prequels is to go back and make Episode One Yoda CGI Yoda because Episode One Yoda, the original one, looked awful because they decided well he has to be younger. It's like a guy who lives to be nine hundred years old is. Is he really going to make that big of a change in 30 years? You know what I mean? So it's like they, they decided to sculpt a new Yoda, and it looked awful. They could have done the exact same thing what they did here, except maybe not as much gray hair, not as much wrinkles maybe, and, they, and it would have satisfied a lot of people. Um, but, yeah, that episode, one Yoda was just awful. It, it, you, know, you know what it is in part? It's the mustache. That You know, the, the bristly mustache that he has. Like, you know, because they try to lean into the Albert Einstein for uh, episode one, and it didn't work. And have you ever known a ship to take so long in hyperspace to get back to a fleet? I don't, I don't know. It's just everybody's taking forever to get where they need to be. But I think in part of me, yeah, part of it is the idea of, you know, the, the resistance was out in the middle of nowhere. The further driving, they're being driven. Even further out into the further middle end of nowhere, uh, but it's just. And again, Rose makes the hard decisions. She's like, "Okay, well, here's what we need to do. You need something that's valuable. There you go." Doesn't even hesitate. Yeah. No. Well, this is like where we we're gonna start getting into the really good stuff here. Mm -hmm. um, and I just it's it's a movie that certainly has its flaws but to me this is uh, some of the best Star Wars you're ever going to see can I say I mean I'll say it this way I think this is the bravest of the three sequel movies because it's the one that's not afraid of making choices that will and did upset fans 
Well, it's also, sorry to interrupt you, but it's also the one that's teaching you a broader lesson we talked about earlier. It's teaching you a broader lesson than just, you know, is Ray a Palpatine or not? You know, it's, it's talking, like you said, it's a message about power. It's a message about morality. You know, mm -hmm. the Force Awakens and the Rise of Skywalker, they're really not a morality tale. Like the, the um, original trilogy was. But I also think, I mean, in some ways, this is the difficulty when you're talking about uh, sagas, shared universes, you know, modern media. There's almost becomes a, a difficulty when you deal with properties of this caliber because there's a lot of desperate attempt to protect it, you know, to protect its essence. And what happens is both the fan base and the creators become awed by what it is and they don't want it to change. And that can be good and that can be bad because it can be good because you have to preserve what you know what value it has, but it can also create a dynamic where you're not making any changes, you're not progressing within the story. You're just repeating it over and over again. And that can be tiring and boring every time. I was listening to Ryan Johnson um, speaking of knives out. Um, he was he was talking about how he put that whole thing together. Mm -hmm. And he said he essentially had to deconstruct the the murder mystery in order to create the movie that he wanted to make. And he did the same thing with Star Wars. He had to deconstruct the entire thing. You, you talk about like a master chef who will deconstruct a dish, take it down to its bare bones, and then build something wholly new that retains the essence of what you've seen before. Um, but, but is a different thing. Um, and that's what he does in his movies. At least that's what he attempts to do. And you can talk about his level of success, you know, again, some of it, some of the execution you could, you could hope would be better. Um, but when it really works, he's giving you something you've never seen before. And, and like here, like the very the very question of what is Star Wars, you know, it's like what what how do we define it, you know? And he 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 attacks it and he says, your idea of what Star Wars is, I'm going to just challenge it, mm -hmm. and we're going to just we're going to we're going to make it into something different, and we're going to see how where that where it goes, and. I'll be honest, at the conclusion of this movie, the first time I watched it, um, I was struggling with it. But after multiple viewings, I, I came away very excited about the future of Star Wars. It's like, this is, this is something this, different. This is the one, again, I, again I've said I was, had pain meds when I saw it the first time. But every time that I saw, every time I watch it, I like it more. Um, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's a it's 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 a good story. It's um, I think it's yeah. I don't see why people have such a big problem. My biggest problem is the slow speed chase. Chase, that's it. So, <laughs> and, and I guess you know, and I always say, I mean, it comes whenever you're talking about a property like Star Wars. People have a preconceived notion of what it is, or what it has to do, or what it needs to be, etc. And uh, it can prove difficult when somebody challenges that. At the same time, though, I was gonna—I would say you much rather that than say 
what the last few non-Harry Potter movies for that franchise did, which really don't challenge much of anything, really just keep doing the same thing as they've done before. And it becomes uh, rather, you know, rather uh, blank. Paint by numbers. So very much. So, you know, from the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about, you know, checking your expectations at the door. And I remember listening to people leading up to The Last Jedi. They were the, the thing they wanted to see more than anything was Luke Skywalker light up the green lightsaber and, you know, go whomping into town, you know, just it, it just and go nuts. And mm-hmm. so everybody went into this movie with that's why I told my my best friend. I've said the story before. He said, oh, man, I'm hearing a lot of taking the kids to go see The Last Jedi, and I'm not seeing such great reviews. And I said, I told him literally, I said, leave your expectations at the door. It's a good movie. It's a, the most different Star Wars movie that you'll ever see, you know, and and I like it for that. It stands out, you know, it stands out. It doesn't doesn't feel like a rehash or or just kind of stagnant. It's a, it's a good story. It's cognizant of what it is and what it is trying to do. And sometimes that can be quite difficult with uh, some of these movies, just because from the standpoint of, you know, like compared to like something like my Skywalker and, you know, where it knows what it wants to do, but doesn't feel comfortable enough doing any one thing. So it tries doing a bunch of different things. All right, so I want to talk about real quick. The Star Wars Underworld podcast has talked about this before. This scene that's coming up right now, we got Ray and Kylo in the elevator, and then we're getting into Snoke's throne room. And the, one of their one of the guys on there, the big problem he has is that this is almost a shot for shot rehash of the throne room scene in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And almost, I mean, the 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 dialogue is almost the exact same. Now we can retcon all we want and you know now we know what we know in the rise of skywalker and you know was it palpatine putting those words into snoke's mouth and stuff like that but do do you think ryan johnson did this on purpose or was it kind of like after they shot it they went oh crap this looks exactly like the end of return of the jedi i think he did it on purpose Mm -hmm. you know like again we're talking about subverting expectations I remember the very first time I watched this, I'm like, oh my God, she's confronting him already? Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to survive this? How is she going to survive this? What's going to be the outcome of this? I have no flipping clue. And that's drama. I mean, that's regardless of uh whether you've kind of seen a similar sequence before you've never seen it at this stage of the saga before you've never seen that confrontation occur this early in the saga and that's why it's um yeah but doesn't it take kind of mind bending but doesn't it take you out of it just a little bit when he's like you know even you know okay now look out at the window your fleet is lost you know and oh you he can't be turned he's mine you know it's like all these things are like just step for step with Return of the Jedi, and it uh, is. Except that we all lauded Force Awakens for doing the same thing. No, I, I disagree that Force Awakens did that. I will still. Hello, disagree. Skywalker base, Death Star. <laughs> Star Killer and Death Star. That, yeah, that whole final <laughs> battle is a rehash of A New Hope. 
I talk about the rhyming in Star Wars, and some of it is intentional, but how much? And you don't, you never really know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is some this is some Huey Lewis. I want a new drug and Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters thing going on mm -hmm. here. I mean, it's. I think it's intentional though, because it's like it's meant for you to feel like, oh gosh, this is just like the end of Return of the Jedi. But why is it occurring halfway through the second movie and not at the end of the third? And mm -hmm. it's unsettling for that reason. You know, you're like, these are the same beats. Where are we going? Why are we seeing this now? I mean, at least this is with the internal dialogue I had when I watched it for the first time and it's where the movie like reca recaptured me. Um, previously I had been struggling and then it was like, Whoa, okay. This is, this is crazy. Well, we know, I mean, we know from what we've seen in return of the Jedi, how it's supposed to come off, how it's supposed to pay it off. The difference is going to be how it comes up differently here. And I think that, uh, that is, uh, in some ways, the design of it. It's the reason why you, why you call back is to show how different it is this time. Oh, speaking of different, well, speaking of similar, uh, we get Captain Phasma again. Which... By the way, can I say? Can I say the uh, you've seen the you've seen the alternate uh, scene with um, Finn versus Phasma? Mm -hmm. They should have where she then wastes the four stormtroopers. They should have left that in. That was such a better deal um, than what they ended up with. But, uh, but yeah. I I, <laughs> what they ended up with worked okay. Um, but talk about wasted characters. I mean, you got nothing from Phasma in, the, in these two movies. Nothing. Yeah, I, I, Phasma and Maz Kanata have been hanging out for half this movie. So. <laughs> yeah, they, they along with Finn ultimately end up in the in the in the car of characters who got the short end in this trilogy. Yeah, and uh, we like Holdo ultimately. Mm -hmm. I mean, but, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, but was that the same? Uh, Stun pistol that Leia had in a new hope that she uses right here. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the exact same. It's the same model. Yeah, it's like yeah. <clears throat> the one that she uses to, uh, to shoot that stormtrooper at the start of a new hope. I am noticing a lot of space jewelry now, though, Aaron. So. <laughs> no, Carrie Fisher wanted her space jewelry. Dang it! And you gave her what she wants. So again, spoiler alert, we're, you know, coming up to the end of Snoke and I'll never forget. Uh, I, this is a, this is a fair, I'd never forget sitting there. And when, when the lightsaber slices them, I went, Oh, I'm a clunky. I mean, I uh -huh. literally out loud went, Oh, <laughs> Oh, we're doing this. Okay. <laughs> Did not see that coming from 8 million miles away. But you know what? It, and some people didn't, a lot of people didn't like it, but it was the right choice. Yeah. We've reached the end of the story with Snoke. And some people are like, well, we didn't know where he came from. We didn't know who he was, blah, blah, blah. It didn't matter. Well, see, here's the thing is that in the original trilogy, you had two movies basically for us to understand Vader as the baddie. And then in Return of the Jedi, 
you know, then we get Palpatine, even though we got a little, we got a, you know, a phone call from Palpatine and Empire. But otherwise, it was Darth Vader was the baddie. You know, these two movies, it's been, who, who's the bad guy? Who's in charge here? Is it Snoke or is it, you know, Kylo? Who's, who's the bad guy I'm supposed to be afraid of? And right. so, again, I think that Ryan Johnson made the right choice that it had to be, you know, had to get Snoke out of the picture. Well, and, and I, you know, we said this before when we were discussing Rise of Skywalker. The idea of ultimately it's Kylo Ren who's got to be the villain of the story because he's the first, you know, you introduce him as the villain, you build him as the villain. He's supposed to be the antagonist. The force- it should have been in the very first movie. He should have been in The Force Awakens. Right. We shouldn't have had Snoke at all. Right. But he should. But the idea, you know, of Snoke as a as a story element is he's the guy corrupting, you know, the the Iago, the evil element corrupting Kylo Ren's soul. But once Kylo Ren chooses to fall to the dark side, he doesn't need more corrupting. He's done. You know, he should be. The only question that should be then is who will redeem whom? Will Ray fall to him or will she lift him up? Uh, but at that point, Snoke's purpose for the story is done. And so they, you know, we and we get a resolution to the second question that you just brought up too in this movie, which is he he tries to bring her with him, she mm-hmm. won't go, and and so that's where we're at. You know, they're on opposite sides of this thing, and it's heartbreaking. Because again, for what I talked about earlier, like he's an abuse victim essentially, he is. And, and he he throws those shackles off, and and then he he follows the same path that Anakin did in Revenge of the Sith, which is oh we we can rule the galaxy together, you know we have the ability to do this and that, and it this this idea of of power and controlling others he can't let go of. Mm-hmm. But that, that, I think that's... Uh, go ahead, Aaron. No, go ahead, Fredo. You're good. No, I was going to say, and I think that was one of the things that was most exciting me about the potential for episode nine that we were going to get after, you know, we're thinking about in 2017 is once you clear the deck, so to speak, and put Kylo Ren at the heart as the antagonist, where was he going to go? Because you knew in some ways that question of redemption was still hanging in the background, but he had walked away from it, so to speak. So what else could he do? Where else would this story go to <laughs> put him in final conf- confrontation? At the end of this movie, he's the big bad. He is. Yeah. Firmly established as the big bad. And, and, and so for Rise of Skywalker to make the choice that they do, it's, it, for me, it was massively disappointing. It, it feels like they, you know, in order, you know, and I understand, you know, we discussed why they did what they did, but right. the idea ultimately of, uh, you know, not being able to, not well being willing to stick with it, kind of, kind of disappoints because you're like, where could that story have gone? I mean, I know that we read the, the story idea that uh, Colin Trevorrow had for Duel of the Fates and. You know, I don't know if that would have been better or worse. We can never know, but it's at least it's a different idea. It's a different story that we haven't seen. So uh, the Holdo maneuver coming up, and this is not retconning anything. I Im- imagine if Carrie Fisher would still be alive to this day and lives for another twenty years, or however long. 
I, th I think her doing the Holdo maneuver would have been an awesome ending for that character. You know, somebody who has sacrificed her entire life for a cause to then actually sacrifice her life for the cause, I think mm -hmm. would have been, it would have been gut-wrenching. It would have been awful, but it would have been perfect for that character, I think. Mm -hmm. It would have been interesting, and uh, because ultimately you discuss her and say, "Okay, her the love of her life is dead, killed by the son they made. Her son is now fallen to evil, but she's still holding out hope for him." So, in terms of what she has to give or what she has left in her life, it's the resistance. So the idea of her sacrificing herself to have the one last good thing that she's made in her life. You know, gave her life for it. You know, it would have been powerful. The Praetorian guards are just good at posing. Just by the mm -hmm. way, <laughs> they talked about this. Um, the staging of this whole sequence too is 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 a story in itself. Um, with the red curtain and and how it ultimately gets lit on fire and how they had to slowly burn that curtain away. The filming of that was just insane um but it's ultimately very effective i know some people have some issues with some of the choreography um i like the fight scene i i think this i is love it yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's a couple things when people get nitpicky you can see but it's like you know it's just it's really really fun i mean it's the big uh dual scene for this movie Mm -hmm. But it also makes sense for it to be so chaotic and so, you know, we almost animalistic because, you know, you see, you know, Ray growl and snarl at the Praetorian Guard. It's, she's not really been trained, you know, in terms of a lightsaber. And again, Kyle Ren hasn't really been doing much training under Snoke for how to wield the lightsaber any better. So it makes sense that it'd be very physical. The turn of phrase here, you know, where he's like, in, he thinks he's so in tune with his apprentice and it's like I can see him turning the lightsaber towards his enemy and uh, it's it's like holy smokes it, holy snokes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go that moment when everybody went <gasps> in the theater because <laughs> they didn't see it coming even though he's doing it but it's the idea also I think of you don't expect which is weird We've been told that the Sith have always mastered an apprentice and the master will die when the apprentice takes them down and becomes the master. Unless, you know, if the apprentice fails and then the master will find a new apprentice. So this is standard operating procedures for the Sith. So I don't know why people are surprised that Kyle Ren would at some point go, yeah, I'm done with, uh, with Snoke. I'm done with him uh, telling me that I'm not good enough. The heck with him. I can take him and do it. And this will be the last we see of DJ. Yep. Well, it's a weird thing that he does with the affect for the uh, stutter. I don't understand why he made that choice. But again, it's it's that element of a character who, I mean, DJ's very much out for himself. And it's weird that, you know, we never get this as a resolution later on down the road in terms of 
Finn was somebody who was very has been very much out for himself in two movies now. You know, whether it was uh, Force Awakens getting away from the First Order or trying to rescue Rey in this one. And it's not till episode nine where we finally see um, Finn committed to the cause. So it's interesting they didn't get it to, you know, think of bringing him back to juxtapose him with DJ. By the way, on another level, how cool would it have been to have Praetorian Guard action figures back in the 80s? <laughs> you can't you know, tell me. You... No, I was going to say, other, other than totally different thought, but other than The Kiss, this has got to be like the number one moment for Raylo fans right, right here. Mm -hmm. Remember when the movie came out that everybody kept intercutting music? Like remixing music to <laughs> yes. this scene, <laughs> no, immigrant song, back in black. It was either hip hop or hard rock or whatever. They were just cutting it in. You know what? What sticks out to me here is that uh, movie villains don't know how to fight. It's like you have it's what six on two, and they all. It's like all right, my turn. All right, my turn. It happens in Batman movies all the time. It's like Batman's beating on one guy while three others watch. It's like. Don't you people know just to like all pile up on Batman and just I don't know. By the way, did the Praetorian Guard have force powers? Do you know if uh, any of the dictionaries or Wikipedia says anything about that? I haven't heard anything about that. I don't think so. Okay, because I mean that would be the reason, perhaps, why you know the Kylo and Ray are able to come out on top. But because you're right, they have the the Praetorian Guard have the numerical uh, advantage. Oh, and here you go. Okay, the moment of uh, truth for the two for Ray and Kylo. He's looking at the throne. She's looking at her friends getting killed. Yep. And it's a moment of okay, well, are you gonna fall or are you gonna? What you gonna do? And it it, it makes sense that they don't resolve it here. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't get, you can't resolve everything. Um, but he makes his choice and she makes her choice. And it, it seems pretty clear that they're at odds at, the, at this point of things. Well, and it's, and it's okay. And, you know, and the whole idea of rhyming, it goes back to the same moment between Anakin and Padme and Mustafar. Yeah. When he's telling her, you know, when he's telling her, you know, I've brought peace and, uh, you know, to the new Republic, I can, overthrow the emperor we can rule the galaxy yeah. make things right you know that that temptation of oh no no you want things to be done the right way we can do that you know of course the other thing here is that you know this whole movie ray is just continually let down by people mm -hmm. yeah. and here he 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 throws this abusers line at her yeah it's like you're nothing you're no one you come from except nothing your parents were yeah except to me you know, it's like, I'm going to tear you down and then I'm going to build you back up. Like, the only way you can be built up is through me. And what? it's like, it's not, it's not okay. And and she makes the right choice turning away from that. It reminds me, there was uh, an old uh, animated show called The Boondocks that had a moment where a character talks about being in an abusive relationship. And it's very much the, the abusive ex-boyfriend is going like, you know, you ain't bleep, you're, you know, you're war without me, you're nothing. Without me, you're nothing. Uh, you don't have no value. Oh, by the way, can I buy your car keys? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you have no value, but you have something I value. So 
it's it's a good moment in terms of explaining why they shouldn't be together. I'm surprised so many people skipped it or missed it. Oh, hold the maneuver time. And it's, this is also, <clears throat> it was the right choice that there's no sound when this happens. It, it was, it's one of the more beautiful shots in all of Star Wars, I'd say. I also like this uh, moment with Luke's lightsaber. Mm -hmm. um, like, let's get rid of this other talisman, this other mystery box, this magical item. Let's just get rid of it. We're over and done with it. We don't need it anymore. But, but we never we never explained how we got it back in the first place. <laughs> it's a it's a good story for another day. But it's that day, not yeah. right now. Not, not episode eight. <clears throat> or nine. But it's also the idea of uh, they're both trying fighting to be the real heirs to Anakin and Luke's legacy. And Ben yeah. feels and Kylo Ren was like feels that, that he's entitled to that because he's a blood relation to them. He's the grandson of Anakin. He's the nephew of Luke. Who's, who's Ray to take that from him? She's nobody. Well, you know, that's themes of austerity we were talking about earlier with all the Canto Bite stuff. You know, this right. is like, this is my heritage or my birthright or whatever. Um, but, yeah. I, and it goes back to that idea that we're talking about, you know, Regarding, jeez, um, I lost my train of thought there for a moment as I'm looking at the explosions about to happen. But it's the idea of uh, that. Oh no! The only way that that Ray fits into the story is if she's part of a ancient mystical bloodline that she's connected in some way to the other characters. Is that the case? Because every one of her choices, whether informed by her desire to learn who she is or to train and become better are her choices ultimately. It's not yeah. her that turning off. She doesn't turn away from Kylo Ren because she's a Palpatine. She turns away from Kylo Ren because no, no, I'm Ray and this is who I am and that's not what I do. Yeah, Aaron, you're right. Silence was the absolute right choice for the, the hold on maneuver. Mm -hmm. Sorry, take us, on another, take us on another tangent uh, because we just saw C-3PO yeah. a little bit ago. I will say this also. Ryan Johnson knew how to write for C-3PO. <laughs> I love that moment early in the movie when it's like wipe that wipe that look off your face. Yeah, well, just or the you know when he's just the all his lines are just like tip. It's it's Empire Strikes Back C three PO. It's just it's just great. Um, I thought three PO was a little overdone in the Rise of Skywalker, um, and I well, and I like this BB eight saves the day and old ATST. Mm -hmm. John Williams starts making an, uh, making his presence felt um, yeah, yeah. right through here. Like when, when he and when Finn and Phasma are squaring off with these tribal drums. And then of mm -hmm. course, later with, with the Luke Kylo showdown, um, right. this is, this is really good stuff. In some ways it's, it's the score that I wish we had been nominated for an Academy Award for more than say, uh, Rise of Skywalker, and I know that that's you know that somewhat politics and whatnot, but I think this you know those are you know from here on out you're right. The choices mm -hmm. that he's making are tremendous in terms of the music.
I have some, okay, so we're watching Finn fighting with uh, Phasma, which I'm surprised, again, maybe it's just Star Wars tradition to make such a big deal out of characters that end up, you know, meaning so little in terms of screen time or, or whatnot, but I do wish this hadn't been the end for her. Yeah. Uh, it would have been interesting to see how she would have reacted to everything that comes afterwards. And she'd been bested by him twice at this point. Right. And the first one funny and this one physically, but I guess once you throw her down the pit of flames, that's pretty much it. But then again, you know, we said the same thing about Maul. And that moment where you see her eye through the helmet is very similar to what we get in um, uh, that season two and ending of uh, Rebels. Mm-hmm. With, yeah. uh, and with Vader. Vader. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah, these, are, these are humans underneath these scary masks. Yep. I, love the, I love this scene with Hux and Kylo. <laughs> First of all, seeing Hux go for his gun, he was going <laughs> to pick it, but then it's like, what the, what happened? <laughs> well, from the very first moment that we meet Kylo and Hux, they're odd to one another. They're almost like the two, bro- the two brothers fighting for daddy's attention and affection. And, you know, Kylo's got all the Force stuff and all the, uh, you know, all the mystical power stuff, whereas uh, Hux is very much the Empire, the Fourth Faith, the, new, the face of the new Empire, so to speak, that's trying to connect this. And at this point, it's like, okay, well, who's going to be in charge? You know, you think who's the most powerful? Who's in, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it takes a moment for Kyle to go, uh, yeah. I guess I'm doing God. It takes 10 seconds for them to resolve that. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do love, you know, in some ways it becomes a punchline later on, but how much uh, Kylo's throwing him around at the end of this. But then later on, you know, at the end, when Kylo, I mean, when Hux is looking back at Kylo, going like, what the heck do we do now with him in charge? Oh, yeah. You get the sense that, okay, you because know, there was also a sense that Snoke had a plan, that Snoke knew what was going on. Kylo is very much more a reactive force presence. Yep, great. Yeah, about time we get someplace different. Yeah. <laughs> Crate's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I wish we'd have gotten more of it. Would have been interesting to see, you know. Sorry, we just we're seeing Poe aim as I hate, I hate, hate, hate the weapons in these movies. In, in the sequels. Force, in the Force Awakens and the last I hate them. Uh, they just they just look like I don't know Battlestar Galactica weapons. It's just they just look bad. They look like they've been glued together, like they're part of hobby kits. They don't look. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's one thing we've given to the Mandalorian. They at least start from a base of this is a real weapon. Now we we'll make it Star Wars. Yeah, they're <clears throat> they're just all just bad. I like the amount of screen time that Carrie's daughter gets. Mm-hmm. Nice you, gotta, you gotta imagine that must be that must have been really heartwarming for her 
for both of them to work on the same set, the same movie, particularly after uh, her daughter grew up with, well, your mom's Princess Leia. <laughs> well, okay, so you talk about, uh, <clears throat> you know, Starkiller Base. Well, now, oh, this is Death Star Tech. So, again, we... <laughs> I don't know. They can't let it go. It's like Rise of Skywalker. We get the Death Star cannons on Star Destroyers, and we had a Death Star tech on Crate, and we had this. I don't know. Yeah, it seems. Well, again, it goes back to the issue of, you know, what sacred is the Death Star. It's the okay. ultimate big bad weapon, and we can't let go of that, even though we've had other movies that have not had a Death Star like weapon and work fine, but. You know, the Rise of Skywalker, at least they didn't build a giant planet that destroys everything. I know that the Death Star tech attached to Star Destroyers is problematic in in a similar way, but um, at least it was they tried to do something a little different. So we're coming up on uh, Gareth Edwards, the director from Rogue One, Here's his cameo for the guy who tastes the salt. (laughs) And Ryan Johnson, of course, was in uh, uh, Rogue Rogue One. One. He was one of the Death Star gunners. One of the guys who had to duck when the blast was going. (laughs) This whole speeder thing was kind of awkward. I know it was necessary, but it was, I don't know. I mean, like I said, it would have been interesting if you had had a longer time in crate or on crate you could have introduced them you could have shown some of the elements that makes them unique and you know presented the idea that they're not in the best shape that kind of thing so that when you do see them come out like here you'd have understood that this is very much a a uh, desperate run that they're making but because you don't get any introduction you don't get to see uh the uh, resistance trying to put them together you just kind of okay they're just whatever so let's talk about the color red. Red is very prominent in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. And with the Praetorian Guards, with Snoke's throne room, with the, you know, crate ground going here. Um, the where poster else was we... red. It, the well, poster where was else? Red. But yeah, where else? Where else in the movie? But we see, we see red all over the place. What are we? Why? What, what do you think we're trying to do here? I mean, in some ways, I mean, it's a, I mean, in some ways, it's a stylistic choice. You know, they, you know, they're choosing to focus on it, but also I think it creates a a color palette that's unique, particularly here, because we've had snow battles; those are all white, and uh, we've had forest battles, green, and of course, all the space battles are on the black background. So, this, but this creates a juxtaposition between. Uh, this you know the salt layer and then the, the red soil underneath. What also does is it create introduces a thought in your head. Oh, you know that underneath that white there's a red, which will come very important during the duel between Kylo and Luke. I also think, like stylistically, it's a uh, you know it's to denote danger and evil. I mean, these are things that you associate with the color. The Sith have always been strongly associated with red, red lightsabers, etc. Uh, screaming Porg. I like it. <laughs> oh, no, no. And I love this moment. Blow that piece of junk out of the sky. 
Yeah, it like sends his entire fleet after one ship because he's then, not angry and compromised. Yeah, and then uh, and uh, Finn going, oh, they hate that ship. Like, it's no <laughs> secret. But I like so the the speeders being super junky, like circling back to that. I, like it, you know, the snow speeders in Empire were very weak mm-hmm. as well, but they didn't do a good job of conveying that. They just made the walkers seem kind of invincible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the reason those walkers were so invincible is because those those speeders weren't equipped to take them down, really, mm-hmm. um, which is why they change tactics but with this it's like it's meant to like kind of riff on that but make them like even more so overmatched and yeah but we, but we get a little bit of music borrowing here dave for the oh sequence. yeah yeah <clears throat> that yeah, takes yeah. the old school fans back to uh uh you know the end of return of jedi and the and the um and the dogfight in uh, new hope right right the pork's getting in the way. <laughs> Love the fact they just couldn't get rid of the porgs. So they, they're working really hard to establish that this is a suicide run because they because he wants it when when Rose does what she does, he wants it to not ring hollow, I guess. But it's still kind of an awkward if there's any critique of the last third of this movie for me, it's it's this is kind of awkwardly done where Rose uh, saves Finn. Right. Well, and, and the, um, the, what was the point of the, them coming out to fight? I mean, they're getting picked off, but it's the idea that uh, they're trying to take out that big miniaturized Death Star cannon. Right, so, so they get 10 feet away from it, and it's like, oh, this is a bad idea. <laughs> right, it's like... Like the whole point was to knock that out. Okay, let's knock it out. Yeah, yeah. Let's see the job through. Well, so you at this point, especially when uh, Finn's gotten close and you know Rose comes in and knocks him out, literally takes him out. I get the moment from Poe's perspective. Right. You need to see Poe's growth. He needs to be able to lead. And what this is really one of the better movies at at tackling that question, like what makes a good leader? Like in in the other movies, it's we must be, you know, stand up to evil and be strong and fight no matter what. Um, But this, this movie like actually looks into that question. Like, like, well, well, it's not just enough to fight. We need to also protect that, which we care about at the same time. Um, and, and so from that perspective, it, it, the message is, is a hundred percent right. But again, we, we talk about the execution. Um, it's like, why were we attacking this death ray in the first place if we couldn't take it down? And, and, and then we decided halfway through, we couldn't take it down, but it looks like he might be able to, but no, he's in too crappy a ship. It's never going to happen. She saves him. Um, <laughs> she saves him by knocking him out of the sky. Yeah. <laughs> right next I, to the walkers. Yeah. 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 They're ne- they're they're behind enemy lines basically at this point. Like how they even get out of there, you know? They should be captured immediately, but nope. And again, it's the idea. I mean, I love the, the moment that Rose says, look, we're not gonna win by being like they are. We're gonna win 
by fighting for the things that we love, the things that we care about. Because it's, again, this concept of doing the right thing because it's the right thing, doing fighting for good because it's the, the good thing to do. You don't kill yourself to save others. You save others. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it comes at this moment after you're like, wait a minute, you're trying to save him, but you ran your ship onto him. You would have taken him out. See, like, you have to value life along with the cause itself, or else, way, or else you're not on the right side of things. Very much so. Right. By the way, we're talking about Raylo. Did nobody ever ship Finn and Rose after that kiss? You would have thought that would have been a bigger deal, particularly because of Finn's feelings for Ray that we presume exist. There were a lot of shippers. There are a lot of ships, but not a lot of ships. <laughs> a lot of shippers, not a lot of ships. So as we uh, come up on the, the grand entrance here, um, <clears throat> did you guys think that Luke was actually there? Initially, yes. Initially, yes. Although, it, well, I did find it interesting that he didn't look like old man Luke from uh, Octo. Yeah, it looked like you know he got some just for men and you know cut his hair and he has the he has, <laughs> he has the late no the, the caretakers to kind of give him a trim and but of yeah. course he also has his old lightsaber too so it was interesting but um, well, there are so many clues that it's not that he's not there and it's so it's very cleverly done but yeah I'm with you guys I'm with you Fredo I didn't like pick up on that until later on. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that even though there's a battle rage and all this stuff, that Ryan Johnson finds a moment to, you know, you know, like to put them together and just have them talk to one another. You know, it's really good. I think it's important. I mean, these these are characters that have not seen each other in decades, you know, who have lost their you know, he has lost his way in some kind of some sense, so he's coming back, you know, around. Screen together, you know, Carrie died right after this. Mm -hmm. You know, and they wouldn't have had the opportunity to do this if he if he hadn't made a point to do it when he did. And did I hear right? Carrie Fisher wrote the dialogue for this scene. I believe she did, or what is right? She's a or, famous, uh, or she doctored it anyway. Yeah, she's a famous script and script dialogue doctor. doctor. Yeah. Right? She, you know, she knows how to write great, uh, great dialogue. So. Would it surprise me? Not in the slightest. You know, this I love Carrie Fisher, but she was a script doctor and she doctored the prequel scripts. So, are you blaming her for saying? I just I want to get that on the record because a lot of people don't know that she actually did work on those scripts. And I do love the little moment with him and three PO with Luke. Yeah, yeah, the wink. It's, well just, done. it's just a little and moment just kind of call back to how this all started this is John Williams's best work yes. maybe ever yeah well definitely for the sequels I love you know it just because it's just hitting the moment perfectly again he's gonna walk out by himself with a laser sword and face on the entire first order one of my one of my favorite moments is coming up when uh he says, bring the ship down, and Hux disagrees. He chucks him up Boom. against the wall, and then the guy goes, right away, oh, sir. <laughs> hey, he's in charge. 
Yeah, because look, his clothes are nice and clean and pressed. He's got a lightsaber, short haircut, just for men. He he looks like the image of Luke Skywalker, legendary Jedi Master. He doesn't look like all hermit Luke from Octo, so we should have seen this coming. Yeah, this this whole thing blasting away at Luke. But it also but it goes to you know, when we get to the later reveal of him not being there and people getting upset at it, I'm like, Luke is being smart about what he knows about Kylo Ren. He knows that Kylo Ren takes nothing in the universe more than him. So if he steps out, he's going to focus everything well, on him. And I've, I've, I've said this in, in the podcast before. Um, this Luke is actually practicing what the Jedi have preached always. He is actually using his powers for defense, not for attack. You know, he's using, he's using the force in that way. And I, I, I think that gets missed sometimes is right. that that whole lesson from Yoda, you know, that, that lesson from Yoda was total hypocrisy because what we see in the clone wars, you know, was the Jedi attacking things all the time, as much as they try to say, Oh, you know, we're, we're just, we're only protecting these people. It, now they're, they were attacking. They were leading and, armies. Yeah. And I love Luke flicking yep. the rocks off his shoulder. Yep. Brushing the dirt off your shoulder. Cool. JC. But, yes, but yeah. no, he's, he's using his powers for knowledge and defense, you know, which is again, what <laughs> right away, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you're right. And then this is the lesson that that Luke understood better than anyone else as evidenced by the end of Return of the Jedi. Right, when he chucks the saber and says, I'm yeah. not Luke. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, this was him. It was a pacifist approach. We're, we're going to win this through love and through and other things. And that's why this is so, a so much better story for Luke Skywalker. This moment right here where mm -hmm. he... he you know he was lost. You know he was lost, and now he found himself. He, mm -hmm. you know, he came back to his true hero nature. You know that's if if he was this Luke Skywalker for the entire movie, uh, we'd be sick of him by now. You know, yeah. but if we've gone on this journey of you know going, how can he be this way? And he's so you know disgruntled, and he's turned himself off from the Force, and this that, and now he's he's found himself. You know. Um, that's so much. It's a much more interesting story. Mm -hmm. This is a great cool. shot. This is a great shot. That wide shot of he and Kylo facing off. Mm -hmm. This is the the blue lightsaber. You're like, wait. Yeah, right? <laughs> that's, that's when you know something was going weird. Yeah, like wait a minute. But again, it's per. It for me, it's perfect. It's All right. So another, sorry, another thing that doesn't pay off is here. Poe is saying, repeating that Holdo line, "We are the spark that's going to light the fire of the reason," and then come for Rise of Skywalker. Wah, 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 wah. No, they don't have anybody. You know, nothing. Nobody came. The call wasn't heard. We're we've only got about six people. And all these stars are. You know, that was just another payoff that was not there. You know, people. Well, I guess the payoff for them was uh, when Lando shows up with the whole people fleet. Which, again, it would have been interesting if they had called back to that this line in that movie. 
you know, try to bring it back to that idea, but you know, they didn't. I, I wish I, I wish I hadn't seen Endgame because that you see what that scene in Rise of Skywalker could have been and wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. When everybody's just coming together, you go like, oh. it's just about, it's just a bunch of ships, you know. In Endgame, it was like, oh, and there's that person, oh, and there's that one, and oh, yay, and there's that one, oh, this is cool. But you know, in Rise of Skywalker, so okay, good, bunch of ships, right on. Hey, look, and, the ghost, you know. <laughs> hey, look, it, it's a uh, Lando with a uh, uh, wedge, wedge as a gunner, yay. <laughs> Yeah. I didn't like the payoff of the foxes, though. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a point to them. They're not just there to look cool. Or sell merch at Galaxy's Edge. But what's, <laughs> what's interesting is I actually read an article that um, apparently dogs, like, are much better than humans at finding shortcuts in, like, if they're in a strange area, they'll be able, they can, like, figure out and map out, do their sense of smell and stuff. They can map out a shortcut that humans cannot. So that's kind of paid off here as well. You know, the, the mm -hmm. foxes know how they can get through the rocks. Uh, fine, okay. Yeah. No, it's interesting. You know, you got Ray on the opposite end of where Kylo and Luke are, and Kylo seems completely unaware of it. He's well, got this strong bond that he's built over the movie with her, and he's so focused on Luke, on destroying Luke, that he has no idea whatsoever that she's doing what she's doing by the way there was another tell when luke moved yeah. his foot and there was and none of the salt moved right but but no kylo hates luke more than he's i mean you know his emotions are focused more on luke and that's luke's whole plan mm -hmm. you know but and it's also kind of like i kept like I was saying earlier regarding what it would have looked like with an episode nine where kylo ren is the supreme leader and is the guy leading the charge against the resistance because he's very much a, uh, a uh, prisoner of his emotions. He's not in control of himself. The, how that would look that? The, the callbacks here are so good. Mm -hmm. Like, everything you just said was wrong. Like, the yeah. callback to earlier in the movie is yeah. so good. And then and the, moving rocks. Right, yeah, right. Rocks. Yeah. Fa facing down everybody with your laser sword. And then ultimately the force connection, which was like a great thing for developing Kylo and uh, Ray early in the movie. And it would have just stood on its own merits for that. Mm -hmm. um, but to be able to utilize it for Luke here as a, as a means to an end for him to be able to use it to um, save everybody is just, Phenomenal storytelling. And I thought Adam Driver's acting in this last scene was impeccable. It was yeah. great. Again, because Kylo Ren is not Darth Vader. And that's sometimes the problem that people get for you know got forgotten. Darth Vader, you know, Anakin Skywalker was a man wrapped up in his hate and his rage, but he was in command of all his powers. Kylo is very much somebody who's trying to be in control of his powers just isn't so that's why he can fly off the handle he can you know you know be consumed by what's happening in front of him and not be aware of the bigger picture so um 
at the uh, after this movie had been released and people were complaining about Luke's force projection, mm-hmm. and somebody would, like criticized Ryan Johnson on Twitter saying, "Were you just making up force powers now?" And then Ryan Johnson tweeted back, uh, showing the book that he got, you know, the information from, you know. But was, but again, you know, we didn't see force lightning till Return of the Jedi. Yeah. We didn't see, you know, you know, a lot of the powers until the prequels. The the whole idea is the force is an energy field. You can use it to do anything you want that the story calls for. So the fact that Luke is projecting his as you know his presence in another planet light years away and having an impact on a battle he's nowhere near, well, that makes perfect sense. The fact that it ties into the you know the ethical teachings of the Jedi makes perfect sense. The fact that he just pulled a fast one on the kid makes perfect sense. And by the way, can I say also that Pablo Hidalgo ruined this for everybody? Because, you know, here Luke is dying and he looks up and you see two sons. Mm-hmm. And my thought immediately was, you know, it's, he's, he's, well, first of all, we see one son here, but then he looks back and then you'll see two sons right before he dies. Right. And so you're called back to Tatooine and mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, he's seeing that in his mind's eye, but mm-hmm. Pablo Hidalgo had to say, no, Octo has two sons. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Honestly, you know? the first time I saw it, I thought, you know, you know, he's beginning to pass away physically. So as his brain's synapses are firing, maybe his vision's getting blurry and he's seeing, the one son is two. That's what I thought. I didn't think, oh, there's literally two sons over there. I thought he's dying. So he's calling back to who he was before all this started. Yeah, that's, I mean, so like I said, it's in his mind's eye. It's, a, you know, he's, like I said, he's, he's dying, but no, it's just two sons. So never, never mind the poetry. Screw, screw that. <laughs> See, and I, I hate it when we have to explain things like that because it, it should be able to stand on its own merit. Oh yeah, that, a scene like that, it, it should be just you know up to interpretation, I'd say. But I love the the scene coming up too with um, Kylo trying to reestablish that connection. Um, now he's like, "Well, Luke's oh, Luke's gone. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, what about Ray? Uh, let me see if I can reconnect with her." Um, and it's so very on the nose that she closes the door. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, as, as an aside, uh, Aaron, what kind of stormtroopers are these? Those are not snowies, are they? Yeah. Well, they're kind. Of, yeah, they're snowies. They're the same ones that were on um, Star Killer Base. Okay. Yeah, because I looked at their costumes, you know, their outfits, but their uniforms, but I don't. I didn't think it were snowtroopers, given that it's not a snow planet. Well, right. I mean, yeah, it's not. But they're they're snowies. Yeah. Okay. And the knee pads of the biker scouts and the Mandalorian were upside down. <laughs> so and there you go. The force projection fades away. And he's just left right there. He won, but did he really? What I'm thinking here is like, damn, how big is the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> you know, I, th- I thought it like sat six comfortably, and now we've got like a hundred people or something on it. You know, I know it's a freighter, but and see, at the end here, I thought they were setting up Ray Poe as a as a as a ship, ro- as a romantic link. Yeah, as a ship. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, that's that's what's interesting. It's and I love their interactions in Rise of Skywalker. That's one thing we've said that we appreciated the dynamic between the three of them. Uh, but you know, particularly here when you know when Ray's looking at Poe, I mean, at Finn with Rose. You know, it's a interesting moment because these are characters who have not come together till this point, so they're having to find themselves after everything they've been through. And Leia's line coming here. We have everything that we need. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, the uh, we we didn't talk about the uh, the Jedi texts are on. She stowed them on the Millennium Falcon. One of the best lines from Yoda was, "She has everything that she needs, <laughs> or or everything in that book she already possesses, or something like that." I can't remember. Right. And of course, now we got to have the uh, epilogue with Broom Boy. Right. Which makes us all think that we're going to have a new generation of Jedi. And never mind. Nope. <laughs> but again, it's the idea of... But a whole Force crap ton of Sith. <laughs> but <laughs> nope, no Jedi. The, the, those we can manufacture in a hurry. But it's also a question of, you know, the idea. I mean, these kids are doing the same thing that we did as kids. They have the action figures. They have the toys. They're, they're playing at it. And just the idea of wanting to be that call to adventure that Star Wars has at its heart. You know, they're feeling it too. And, you know, I love this little moment at the end with Broom Boy, just, you know, okay, there's a broom at one moment, and the next moment it's like, nope, it's a lightsaber. So we're at the end of the movie, and I I really, we really need to sit down and talk with somebody again who just absolutely hated, you know, this movie and just try to figure out precisely why and, and i mean it usually comes down to the way that that luke is treated but i mean my biggest problem is just again that whole slow speed chase i mm-hmm. i think there's just pacing problems throughout i don't mind you know and they're and they're again they're trying to deal with too many stories really um but otherwise it's an enjoyable movie i think i think it's well put together you know it looks gorgeous. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, like I said before, to me, it's my favorite of the sequel trilogy because it has such a compelling through line from beginning to end. It's one that I think I spend more time if, of the three that I think the most about because of how well put together it is from start to finish. Like, there's moments in Force Awakens and Rise of Skywalker that I think get as good in terms of fan service but i think from beginning to end this is the one that's best put together this is the one that connects best on an emotional intellectual level plus that moment where luke just walks out is just epic i think it also depends on what you're watching the star wars movie for because what you're just saying see if it's me if i have my choice i'm going to watch force awakens um yeah i'm going to watch force awakens first um, because it's just more enjoyable to watch. It's more fun. Um, it's much like, yeah, I would much rather have a McDonald's cheeseburger than, you know, sometimes than going to a fancy restaurant, you know, because um, it's just more fun, you know. Um, so I think for me, my I'd rather watch, if I'm just going to sit down and enjoy Star Wars movies, at least in the sequel trilogy, it's going to go in the order 7, 8, 9, I think. Um, 
but uh, Dave, what, what's, what's your, where does it land for you? I think it's the best of the three. Um, in terms of rewatchability, it's, it's a harder movie to rewatch um, than, than the other two. The other two, you can kind of just turn on and have them on in the background and, you know, turn off your brain or whatever. Um, and I don't even mean that as, as an insult. Um, you, you know, you're, I'm, I'm doing some work or something. I'll put this on in the background. Um, this movie sort of demands your attention. It's heavier. Um, there are a lot of deeper issues that they're trying to touch on in here. And I, for me, it, it just, it's the movie that works the best of the three. And, and it's by a substantial margin too. Um, like it's not, it's like kind of a no contest for me. Like this, this movie is really good. Um, Force Awakens is fun. Uh, I appreciate what it did. Um, getting, you know, kind of reinvigorating Star Wars for, for a whole new generation and everything. Um, and then, and there is even some merits to Rise of Skywalker that, that I appreciate, but but this this movie is just um, it, it's it's artistic, um, mm -hmm. and it aims to do things that many of the other Star Wars movies haven't. And and I, I appreciate that it's that its aim is so much higher. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, everything Dave said is appropriate. Yeah, no, I agree. But you know, and I I bring it back to music that there's sometimes where you want to listen to a Beethoven symphony and there's sometimes when you want to listen to Green Day. You know, I mean, and that's, that's a little bit of hyperbole here. I mean, it's really opposite of the spectrum, but it, it, I think when people, when we talk about checking your expectations at the door, maybe people have to ask themselves when they're going into the movie, are you wanting to go to have fun or are you wanting to go to experience like maybe something a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more artistic, like you talked about? And I don't think we think about that when we go to movies. I want to go see the Star Wars movie. You know, that's why you know Empire at first was you know eh, it wasn't as you know fun as the first one. You yeah, know? but mm -hmm. it is it has aged really well. So it'll be interesting to see how people feel about. Uh, the last Jedi, you know, after it, after, after it breathes for a while, you know. Yeah, I, I can't wait for those articles that we're going to read on the internet 20 years from now that are like, The Last Jedi is the most underrated of the Star Wars movies. You right, know? yeah. I think public opinions will change over time. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, and plenty of people liked it uh, mm -hmm. at the time. Um, and again, I don't want to revisit this in a way that makes it sound like oh well this was just universally reviled it made like a gazillion dollars um it was very well reviewed yeah i think it's, it stands as the best reviewed star wars movie probably of all time right now so far yeah I, at one point it certainly was that so i yeah i i it's a it's a great great film. I understand people's issues with it, but um, I like it. 
But by the way, just right quick, to translate from Dave to uh, U.S. dollars, uh, Castellini dollars was $1.321 billion. <laughs> there you go. Well, cool. Well, thanks for watching The uh, the Last Jedi with us. Um, next week, we'll be talking about a whole gob of rumors and news that has been coming out. So we'll just speculate till we're um, bleeding out of our ears. Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on. So tune in for that one. Um, but until then, you can find us on Podbean, on Google Podcasts, on Apple Podcasts and on Facebook and Twitter. Um, share, please, with your friends who are fellow Star Wars nerds. Um, but until then, we will say, who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Everybody have a great week. My